Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Point of Origin, episode 35, the show where I think this conclusively proves that Roger Cross is in fucking everything. (laughs) Welcome back is very appropriate, considering this is the second time we've had to record this episode. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, true to form for me on that one, I... I don't know, I, I'm, I'm trying to blame Audacity rather than my computer, because my computer's, like, brand fucking new <laughs> for such a weird um, behavior of not uh, giving me notification windows of drivers being out of date, so my microphone just isn't working. <laughs> but it's working now. <laughs> and just like that one time we had to re-record, we got, I, I, I kept telling myself as a positive spin, it's like, okay, it's fine, you know, we just got the kinks out of it for yeah, that's we can go with that. <laughs> yeah, the rehearsal <laughs> will definitely be funnier this time. Yeah, I'm sure go. of it. <laughs> also, I have my um Ethernet set up this time instead of Wi-Fi, so I uh, won't be missing half what you're saying. Yeah, I'm just using Wi-Fi. It's too much trouble to disconnect my PlayStation regularly. Yeah. For me, it was mostly the case of I think I was just because I was on. I forgot to. I somehow was still on Wi-Fi in that little closet, <laughs> so it was uh, definitely not helping my connectivity. But yeah, anyway, so now I'm just, you know, because it's early fucking morning, my boyfriend's still asleep, I'm huddled in the living room. (laughs) Whereas I'm trying to get this recording out before I go to bed. (laughs) Yeah. Alrighty, well in that case, let's get going. Yeah, so uh, today's episode is episode 13 of season 2, Spirits. Oh, we forgot our introductions again. Oh yeah, I'm Mel. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Liz. (laughs) And the terrible official synopsis for this episode goes as such. SG-11 vanishes while negotiating the mining rights of a valuable minerable... Minerable. (laughs) Minerable. (laughs) Again, they're not negotiating for anything. Stop lying. I guess the idea is that since there's technically a scene where Sam is talking to them about what could be construed as further mineral coming into their hands, rights That could be construed as uh, so on, but they don't go into it for that. Yeah, but they also, that's SG-1 negotiating, not yeah, SG-11 exactly. negotiating. And this yeah, specifically exactly. says that SG-11 disappears while negotiating. Despite the fact that, as we'll point out at the very beginning of this episode, uh, when they initially go through, they think that planet is deserted. Like, who are you negotiating with? The wind? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. You can't <laughs> see the wind, Liss. <laughs> you got my joke. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so, SG-11 vanishes while negotiating the mining rights of a valuable mineral on a planet inhabited by a tribe known as the Salish. Can this SG-1 team find their lost colleagues without angering the planet's mystical spirits, or will they become the spirits' next victims? My favorite thing so far about having to re-record is that I don't have to waste ten minutes going, I don't know how I feel about the word mystical. (laughs) (laughs) As I read it, I was thinking about having to look that up for you. (laughs) Yeah, no, we're good, because I remember last time I thought that word was a little too inherently uh, wooey, so I was like, that doesn't necessarily convey respect in any way, shape, or form, but then it turned out I was wrong, and I was like, yay! (laughs) Yeah, I feel like this whole recording is going to be a lot of deja vu. Because one distinct difference between this re-recording as opposed to our last re-recording is we had like nine months between re-recordings back then. And this one is, what, 48 hours? 
Yeah, because we already recorded kind of late this week, and then I, 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 I put my best, most valiant effort into editing that thing. But because okay, I don't know if you remember this, but when I was um when we were recording last time. I had the mic set up super far away from the laptop, and every time I spoke, I leaned back and spoke directly into the what I thought was the correct mic. Oh no! Up. So literally every time I went to speak, I then got super quiet and tinny because I went far away from the shitty mic I was actually recording through. Oopsie! So it was like my voice was just literally gone in some aspects. I was like, that's fine. Mel can just be like the main you know character of this one. You know, she'll Yay. just be the primary vocal audience. And to be fair, you would have been, but on top of that, you would have had half the responses. So you would have been kind of talking to nothing. <laughs> oh, gosh. I was, that was, I was worried I was going to have to do something like that for the episode. I was just editing because the first file I was sent was missing the last half hour of my partner's audio. <laughs> Which is fun. I mean, at least she ended up having all of it. And <laughs> Yeah, I was panicking. I'm like, please tell me you still have the original recording. <laughs> no, I feel that pain, man. And then it took like a half hour to get a hold of her. And that was at the same time that you were telling me, like, look, can we record? This is not going to work. And I'm like, I, I can't think right now, please. <laughs> yeah, you, you're, uh, you're my, your one message was so on point. Why is this week cursed? And that's like, you know, it's, it's odd audio coincidence <laughs> yeah yeah so uh let's go ahead and get into this episode because like cool. i said i gotta go to sleep after this and you gotta edit so <laughs> yeah. let's not mess around uh this episode was written by a new face or name i guess since we don't know what these people look like tor alexander valenza and martin wood is back to direct yay martin wood Martin Wood is someone we have on our Hall of Fame. We like him. Yes. And the high spend son, this is gonna go. So we're gonna have lovely uh, sound um, additions every now and then. No, 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 don't play with your <laughs> delicate mic setup. <laughs> no, 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 no. You have literally this entire apartment. Go anywhere else. <laughs> play and eat anything else. Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's the beauty of uh, adopting a kitten is they will fucking attack everything. <laughs> yeah. Anywho, um, oh yeah, uh, what we were talking about last time, I remember, was that he didn't do a bad job directing this episode. My my one chief complaint, honestly, was that he seemed to have a halting style to his editing for this episode. Yeah, the editing is the strange part of this. There's still some really nice shots. There's yeah. just some strange editing things. And again, because we're not, we weren't there when it was happening, we don't know whether the editing was still part of his own direction. Or if he had no hand in that. But exactly. overall, it's a good-looking episode. Yeah. And we he's got a history of doing good-looking episodes, so... Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so let's just go right into the episode. <laughs> we open with a box full of rocks getting passed around the briefing room table. And then we have one of the, you know, better directing decisions. Thanks to that Yeah. Scene. I honestly, yeah, I, I kind of like, because it literally is at briefing table level, so you're just getting, like, the chests of people. It's a good... You don't see that kind of shot a lot. It's a nice little shot. Oh, no, it really is. I um, I always appreciate the little... Uh, I was gonna say panning shots, but it's not a panning shot because it wasn't really moving. But you know what I mean? The group shots. I mean, it followed the box a little bit, but yeah, not quite a panning. Uh, but we find out that the rocks are trinium. And there's another great moment of directing where, as Sam is talking about it, doing her, you know, scientific spiel on it. 
the camera's on Teal'c, who has picked up one of the rocks in his hand, and as she's describing that it's like three times as strong as steel or something, he crushes it in his hand and it just crumbles to dust. Yeah, so one thing that always bugs me about this, and this is how I know it does bug me because, you know, as usually we'll have watched the episode like right before we start recording. Um, yeah. Obviously now it's been a couple days ago. But my memory is still fresh on how like vaguely annoying it is to me that they every sci-fi show, all shows do this. I shouldn't say sci-fi. Like any time a show brings in a version of what is basically unobtainium. Um, it's always described as a hundred times stronger than steel and a hundred times lighter. <laughs> and trinium is another example of that because that's how she describes it. And it, it's such a mild complaint. I understand that, but it does bug me that it's always that exact descriptor every time. I will say, actually, uh, f- again, it's been a couple of days since I actually watched this, but. One, I'm pretty sure it was more around, like, three times stronger than a hundred. And I don't think they said, um, oh god, what was the second description you said? Lighter as well. Lighter? I don't think they said lighter. I think they said something more, like, flexible or malleable. I'm pretty sure she said lighter. I don't remember lighter. I feel like it was something more, like, flexible. But I mm. I feel like it was something more to do with, like, how it could more, be more easily yeah. shaped to do things. Maybe a hundred times was a bit high, but I definitely feel like it was, like, the, the whole, like, because it's always, like, metric-like. It's always, like, ten times, or a hundred times, or a thousand times. That's really my complaint on it, but I'm pretty sure she said uh, stronger and lighter than steel. I don't remember lighter being used, but again, it's been, like, three days, so I don't know what they said. <laughs> and, and honestly, it's not like I'm really against the idea of it. Like, I mean, let's say some... I was gonna say magical, but it's not magical. Let's just say, you know, some new element comes into our awareness, and it happens to be stronger than steel and lighter. Yeah, that, that could track. It's just the fact that it's always described like that. <laughs> this is one of those tropes that's just, it's going to be in every yeah. science fiction of this type. At least we're not doing Avatar. <laughs> yeah. What I like about this shot, though, is the fact that, like, it's a good version of what they tried to do in Tok'ra Part 1 where they tried to do, like, those shots where there, someone's saying something that's in direct contrast to what you're seeing, but it was always, like, it was always more forced in the Toker oh, part God, one. Oh, God, yes. So uh, Like, the one with the, uh, oh, there's no footprints, there's no signs of anyone, and then suddenly they pop out of the sand, or I am not gold while your eyes are glowing and your voice is doing the echo thing. Whereas this just, it's, it's done for a, a little bit of a humor instead of, like, a dramatic thing. Like, I think that might be why it works better here, because it's done as a quick little humorous note. When you don't make your whole episode sit on it in a thematic way or a dramatic way, it doesn't come across nearly as, you know, shitty and forced. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so <laughs> basically feeling like she's been called out with it crumbling in his hands like that, Sam hurries to say, well, you know, when it's properly processed, it is. This stuff is very brittle because it, it's not processed the right way. Which, you know, makes sense. Impurities are a thing, so metal processing, so on and so forth. A refinement process would make sense. Make uh-huh. sense. Bah. But yeah, uh, we find out that they're having this briefing not to introduce the rest of SG1 to Trinium, but to introduce them to the issue of the fact that SG11 the team that discovered the planet with trinium, a trinium source on it, has not come back. And there are, I think they're supposed to be like 48 hours overdue at this point. Yeah, that sounds right. 48 hours for their, um, I wanted to say weekly check-in, but I don't know if that line's correct. I 
believe it considering they were on like a mining expedition. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you for saying that because that reminds me. I had this question last time and I still haven't really um, gotten over it. I wasn't against the idea of it, but I just wasn't sure if that was what we were supposed to go with as an assumption or whatever. Is SG-11 supposed to be their mining specific team or is it that... My question last time was, did they pull an Armageddon? Was it a case of training military to mine or was it training miners in a very very top secret <laughs> mission and sending them out there blind to an alien planet. <laughs> I definitely think, especially because it's only season two, so, you know, while they've this, the system's been going on for a little over a year now, they're still figuring out what they need. Like, we're up to, like, 13 SG-1, SG-1 teams. We're up to, like, 13 teams at this point, I think. And they're starting to get a feel for what kind of teams they need we know they have a diplomat team yeah and uh down the line we'll see they have the little archaeologist nerd team but i could completely buy that at this point it's just a whole bunch of military men who are demolitions experts that could make sense entirely i just i guess it's one of those moments once again where i would have appreciated although in this case this is definitely much more of a personal appreciation and i really don't think the episode is at fault for not having it but I would have liked, I guess, a slight throwaway line that's like, oh yeah, our demolitions team, SG-11, is so on. Yeah. Because they've made the point of calling out, for example, the fact that SG-3 is, like, the marine team. Yeah, yeah. Well, SG-3 is made of marines, and they are, like, the rescue team. Right, but like I said, if SG-11 was going to be specific, I would have appreciated a line, like, our demolitions experts or something. Yeah, I definitely think in another episode that would have been a little bit more necessary. Yeah, it wasn't really this that one, necessary. This one, it's definitely... This one, the function of the SGC program isn't really the point of this episode. Um, so I think, I, I know you personally would have uh, liked them to have said something, but I don't think the episode suffers any from them yeah, not no, like explaining said, yeah. any. We do see that like the, when they talk about mining, they personally only talk about setting munitions, um, even though like they'll show later on that they do have other ways to do mining. So I could 100% believe that this is just a munitions expertise soldier team. Yeah, I could see in like a year or maybe even six months since they've gotten to this point where they're like, oh, there are planets where we can mine useful materials. Maybe they'll actually go start hiring specifically for a mining team. But I can definitely see it's only been a year. They don't know all the teams they're going to need. Yep. Uh, so while they're having this conversation about how they haven't come back, we get a warning of somebody dialing through on the gate. And uh, they say something about it, the missing team signal. They really do love playing fast and loose with potential rules of the Stargate. We, I remember asking this, and we didn't have a conclusive answer last time, and I, I, don't, I still don't know, um, whether or not it's, est- we don't know whether or not it's established yet in the show, or ever will be, that the wormhole has to be connected first before you can f- um, read, so to speak, where the transmission's coming from. So, like, for Mm -hmm. example, they say it's SG-11 from whatever planet, and it's like, okay, but the wormhole wasn't connected yet. Do you you know where it's coming from? (laughs) Because we went the assumption last time that they were making an educated guess that it was SG-11, considering how no one else was ready to be dialing in for communication. I did just think... No, never mind. So I was gonna, I was gonna say that like the the closest thing I can even think to um, a source 
that's addressed to this topic is in the movie. Right. When they send the mouth through and there's that map of, like, the galaxy. Right, yeah. uh, Where they show the thing as it's, like, reading. Tracking, yeah, across the galaxy. But that's after they've sent the mouth through to the planet. Yeah. So I honestly think this is a goof because it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I... It could make sense, but I don't think it does. <laughs> technically, the fact that... Okay, I'm trying to think... I'm trying to think of how this technology would even work. Because technically, what has to work... Has to be a thing. Because, okay, so obviously, when you're dialing, you're putting in the symbols in an order, yeah? Yeah. You... The order... The, the timing of you putting those symbols in, you have to be done dialing yours before the gate that you're dialing would be able to receive any of your information yeah because it's it's based on like the the six points creating a 3d location which means you have to have all seven the six points and where you're coming from before any of that dialing means anything yeah it's kind of like if you're dialing if you're doing a phone number if you do five of this of the seven numbers that you need to dial you're not gonna get you know you're not gonna have the it already ringing through to the number you need because you need to have all those numbers for it to work so i guess technically the moment the first dial starts coming in through the receiving gate there's already a connection formed yeah that could track um I don't have anything against that as an idea. <laughs> I don't think they're ever going to address this because I don't yeah. remember it ever being addressed. But technically, they could. It could, <laughs> technically. Yeah, it could. Like I said earlier, like, I mean, I, I wouldn't be against it if it were possible, provided it was based on, you know, any sort of explanation or science. Um, but yeah, up until this point, I just don't know. <laughs> Yeah, because it just made me think of uh, the last episode that we did, um, the Toker Part 2, where there was the part where Sam did the race. Yeah. God, that doesn't make any sense now. (laughs) Unless the fact that, like, her dialing out would create a busy signal, I guess. So what I figured for that is that they aren't, in fact, dialing in real time, as in she and that whatever person were dialing on the other end. This is a complete assumption, by the way, um, but this is my interpretation, um, that the person on the other end had dialed, but in the process of, you know, the amount of time that it takes for that to be transmitted to the other gate, for the gate to receive the dialing instructions, that's what she was beating out, creating a busy signal. Yeah, because they still dialed at a certain pace, pace. Yeah, and it would be going through at that same rate, theoretically. Yeah. And it's just the fact that she dialed faster, that hers translated in faster, and it created a busy signal so they couldn't get through. Yeah. I, I buy it. It's just, it's weird. It's odd. It it's odd. a weird thing to consider. Yeah, it's just one of those little things where the show, I feel like, one of the reasons why it can pull off certain scenes is because of the fact that they don't over-define where the parameters are so they can get away with little things here and there. And then unless you're a nitpicky brat like us, um, yeah. it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of a lot of these concepts would be a lot more simple if the dialing process wasn't based on creating a 3D point in space. Because of that, you have to have every single one of the symbols to know what gate you're connecting to and from where. If it was literally just every gate has its own symbol, which again, that would mean there's only like 
30 gates in the entire universe, so that doesn't work. But, like, if it was just that every gate has its own symbol and you just do a one-to-one direction, it'd be much more simple. It's like, first you, you dial in the one you're coming from and the one you need to go to, and it, but, yeah. But the fact that you need to have that 3D point in space means that you have to put in all of the symbols before it's going to receive your message, quote-unquote, at all. So, I guess... I, I don't, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to tell where it's coming from. That's what I'm ultimately coming down to. Yeah, not that I'm, I'm not disagreeing. I'm just yeah. not agreeing. <laughs> You're still, just saying it'd be nice if they said something. Yeah, I'm still in limbo on it, but not in a bad that's, way. That's a lot of times where we end up with the where we start getting really nitpicky on how things work. Right. <laughs> where it's like, well, it could be this. It'd be nice if they would tell us one way or another, though. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much, yeah. That's that's a pretty good way of summing it up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they get the they get the sign that it's coming from the planet where the missing team is from, and they're like, oh, they're finally back. And Hammond's about to be like, oh, they better have a good reason for you know being this late. And as he's saying that, an an arrow in the shape and design of a crossbow bolt comes flying through the open wormhole and is going so fast that it pierces through the bulletproof glass of the briefing room that observes the embarkation room and gets Jack in the shoulder. Because apparently Jack is magnetic. He's what? I'm going with the assumption that Jack is magnetic. Oh, magnetic. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So Jack is in medbay, and he's, you know, fixed up, but he's in the bed. Um, And SG-1, who had clearly already been briefing to go through after them anyway... Which is a little odd, considering SG-3 is a rescue team. Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. think about that until just now, but we were just talking about how SG-3 is the rescue yeah. team. Yeah, and, and they were SG-11 clearly getting briefed to go through. There's no other reason. I guess maybe because of the Trinium, and they thought Sam was the next best expert to go through. So they, and they are the first contact team, and if you were trying to, you know, mitigate tensions between yourself and an indigenous people, then... Oh, shit, that's one thing we missed. Yeah, that's that's a part we missed, that during the briefing, Daniel asked if there are any indigenous people, and Hammond says that they didn't see anything with the uh, drone they sent through. Uh, but Jack points out that doesn't mean that there aren't any, because yeah. the drone only goes out so far to scan. Yeah. And obviously... The arrow coming through kind of proves that there are indigenous people, but the fact is they didn't know there were indigenous people to send a first contact through to until the arrow. So again, it doesn't make any sense that the SG-1 was being briefed unless they were literally just being like, well, Sam knows the most about Tridium, let's send her through. Um, On that note, though, before we move on from it, one of my problems with that opening scene when uh, Hammond describes that, oh, well, the, the UAV we sent through didn't you know, see any, doesn't, didn't detect any EM signatures or radio traffic, and much like how Jack points out that a planet is quite large, my only problem there is, dude, you've come across almost exclusively just, like, early onset developing cultures that didn't have any sort of technological advancement that would have led to EM signatures and radio traffic, so that's a weird-ass fucking assumption. It's a dumb line. Yeah, that's, that's a weird line. I've, I don't know, man. There's a lot of, like, did you do, what were you thinking with this, (laughs) with this, with the pace of things with the technology and, and the, god, I don't even know what word I'm looking for here. Just, like, how things operate in SGC. Tor Alexander does weird things with it that I'm not quite sure about. 
SG3 should have been in the briefing, not SG1. <laughs> One thing also before uh, we move on is that when they're talking about the crossbow, you know, slightly later. Oh, that's actually, we're going to get to there in a second. Well, yeah, but when Daniel's talking about it, you know, because you mentioned that they say crossbow bolt, as it really is, instead of an, an arrow. Okay, well, I will say, see, I described it as a crossbow bolt, uh, but when they actually are in the med bay, like, deciding, like, okay, Jack can't go with this, but we're going to go through and Sam's going to be in charge, Daniel points out the arrow is actually of a Native American design, but it's made with trinium. I mean, when it comes down to it, the bolt that we get that's sent through was pretty much made entirely of metal. I think it was entirely metal. Yeah, so well, like, the shape and, like, design of it would have reminded Daniel of Native Americans. It's made of completely of metal, which is not a normal thing, and I think that's what he meant. It's made of trinium. That's fine. Honestly, I, the, the other dialogue isn't that bad. Like, for example, um, or is actually good even, <laughs> because I remember him saying this very specifically because he had my notes on it. It's Native North American design, which I thought was like, because they do say most of the time in this episode, Native American, which obviously is the States. But obviously from the Canadian standpoint, it's First Nation. Uh-huh. What I Jack like, winds up using mostly Indigenous or yes. uh, at one point I think he uses Aboriginal. Yeah, he does, because he says um, he brings up Aboriginal rights. But I just really, um, I did appreciate their little way, clever way of, you know, at, at least in the very beginning, not saying specifically Native American or First Nation. They say mm -hmm. Native North American, which, again, might just even be a cool little meta writing moment, because this, obviously, the show is filmed in Vancouver, and the Salish, um, in real life, the Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes live in Vancouver area. <laughs> It's a clever little way of not saying Native American in that moment. Yeah, I kind of uh, appreciate that they, you know, based a lot of their things off of the, the Vancouver area because that kind of gives the indication that they did their research. Yeah, Because it'd be much easier to do the research for an area you're filming in. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, they're planning to head out, and because of the fact that the arrow that came through and struck Jack. Oh, Jack makes a joke about he's used to getting holes stuck in him by, uh, by aliens at this point because of message in a bottle. But because of the arrow being made of trinium, uh, the Pentagon is suddenly much more interested in this planet than they were before. Shock. And they want them, first and foremost, to secure mining rights with the natives secondary find the missing team. Because that is exactly what the U.S. military and the U.S. government would do. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that, like, Hammond doesn't actually say finding the team is secondary. It's just the way he words it. Mm -hmm. It's very obvious that that's what the Pentagon thinks. Tracks. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Which is, makes it just so much iro more ironic when uh, down the line Sam will say the thing about we're not in the habit of leaving our people behind. If the Pentagon thought it could get you mining rights for Trinium, they would absolutely leave SG-11 behind. I mean, the government, especially the Pentagon, has always been, you know, pretty big on that bullshit. Like, I remember that, I remember learning in school way back when how much um, emphasis was put on we won't have any more american soldiers on the ground in vietnam and it was shit like that where they you know really emphasize america first as a concept with their soldiers when it's convenient yeah or my personal favorite is how much the u.s government to this day emphasizes that we've never lost um an american citizen in space <laughs> <laughs> We have lost them on the ground <laughs> because yeah. of obviously you know as we know Apollo one yep. fire. <laughs> 
but we have not lost an astronaut in space yet. <laughs> so yeah, it totally tracks. Oh yeah. But yeah, so they go through and they get to the deserted camp and there's a very pointed shot of a raven perched in the abandoned camp that starts calling out like a warning alarm and they're looking through the camp and the camp shows signs of immediate desertion in the middle of doing things so like there's a coffee pot that's boiled over there's a requisition form that's in the middle of a sentence and teal comes over and he was at the detonation site and he talks about how there were two charges set, and one of them was set off, but the second one was never set off. And they're at first like, oh, well, maybe they set one off and then saw something and wandered off to go see what it was. And he's like, no, that doesn't track. Their footprints just disappear. Like, they're at the first detonation point, and then they're just gone. There's nowhere else for their footprints to go. And this is where I have um, a logistical problem with the episode, just for not bringing up, as we mentioned in our first recording, something that was in the movie, but they do not bring up rings as a possibility for why they were disappeared. It's it's a weird thing to accidentally omit, or purposely omit. I don't know why it was omitted. Especially an episode after the Tok'ra. (laughs) Right? Where the rings are heavily featured mostly as a way to show off their new cgi but still yeah it's a little they they, there should have been some oh are the tokra here did they go underground like literally it definitely comes down to an issue of there being multiple writers and these being developed at the same time and the communication just not coming down pretty much so i was like i'm i'm annoyed as i always am but at least it's not enough of a problem to like hinder the whole episode (laughs) no because again it's barely it's not the point of this episode yeah um but yeah so there's like a sound of movement that pulls tilk outside of the tent and we see a wolf like pace past but the team doesn't see anything um, and Daniel suggests ghosts, and, uh, Teal'c and Sam are both incredibly dismissive of the concept. <laughs> I don't remember exactly what I had to say about this last time, so I'm not even gonna bother going down that fruitless, uh, route, but I do remember being a little annoyed by... I can tell you both points that you had on this. Okay. Uh, so you were annoyed with how hard they pushed the, uh, Sam as a scientist yes. and doesn't believe in any of the spiritual mumbo-jumbo angle. And you were also annoyed by how much they simplified Teal'c's side of things, where he just has this one-liner where he's like, the Jaffa do not believe in ghosts. Oh, that's right! Thank you. The strong man type that he was supposed to represent. Because, yeah, because one of the things I loved about Star Trek, and I'm not saying that Next Generation did, like, you know, the most amazing job with developing Worf um, by Season 2, because, honestly, I don't watch a lot of Season 1 and 2, considering how Season 1 is horrifyingly Season bad. Season 1 is rough. <laughs> yeah, it is it is rough. Anyway, um, yeah. <laughs> but, obviously, one of the main things I loved about Star Trek was, with especially with Worf, was you know, Klingons do not dance, or Klingons do not do this, or whatever, except it was that those kinds of lines were as an addendum to his development, because Mm -hmm. they put so much, what I feel anyways, well, so much more effort into developing, you know, the culture behind Worf, as well as his character, and in Stargate SG-1, I don't get that same feel from the writers, as in they didn't really even bother to develop Teal'c's, hi Spencer, culture not from his perspective they just developed it as like well they're the servant class yeah and then they don't develop him as we've definitely complained about before 
at all. They just throw out some of these little crappy liners until eventually the show starts to really appreciate him. So, yeah, somewhere around like season yeah. five or something yeah. is where they really start to give him his due. Yeah, so I don't, I, I, I understand what they were going for with the strongman type, but I don't think they achieved it nearly as well with Tilka as it had been achieved before in other shows. Um, and and thank you again for reminding me about the other one. Um, I, I doesn't, it doesn't, it, it doesn't not track that Sam is such a scientist because she is a scientist. Yeah, <laughs> it's just the concept of. And again, I am super dismissive about a lot of stuff that I consider to be too wooey, so I can totally get her not being, you know, that receptive to the concept of it. But together, their mutual reactions just seem wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna go with wrong. It's just too much mm. or something, and it's just not quite right. Yeah, um, I, like I said before, um, for, sorry, we're gonna be saying that a lot, because, right. it, again, it's not nine months between recording, it's like... 36 hours, right. so there's 48 hours, so it's just like there's a lot of, I've already said this right. <laughs> I can't wipe that from my head uh, but yeah, like I said before, I think you could have accomplished the same thing with Teal in a better way yeah. if you took like f 10 more seconds to explain that the concept of like ghosts and that sort of thing doesn't appeal to his sensibilities because of the fact that he's got that background with the gold pretending to be gods. Yeah. Yeah. And also, that does beg the question... Sorry, so he, is, is his line specifically, uh, Jaffa don't believe in gold? Sorry, not yes. gold. <laughs> in, in ghosts. Yeah, they don't believe in gold. Yeah, he specifically says the Jaffa do not believe okay. in ghosts. So, I know with Teal'c that obviously he's, you know, enlightened to the fact that the gold are uh, false gods. Cat, you are so loud. Anyway, um... <laughs> So I, 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 that, that part's fine. It's the fact that he says Jaffa that bugs me because the majority of Jaffa is established believe in the gods. And if you believe in gods, why are you drawing the line there uh, between gods and ghosts? Honestly, I, I, I could believe it because of the fact that uh, if, they're, if the Jaffa are a serving class to the gold and the gold make their existence by continuously subsuming hosts, what need is there to think of the concept of an afterlife? The gold... So the Jaffa serve the gold. Right. So they're going to follow the gold's thought process. Uh, that, that's, part, that's the part I'm not entirely sure about. Not even... Not thought process, but like, they... Okay. The Jaffa, obviously, like, Teal'c and, and Braytac are outliers, but like, the culture of the Jaffa believe that the gold are gods. Yes. They have been indoctrinated into this culture of the gold. Yeah. The gold have sarcophagus and they jump hosts. Yeah, they no, that... don't really have afterlives. Yeah. They yeah, no, I and I can see what you're saying there. I just I just I'm again, I'm not really trying to say one way or the other because I first off can't. But I I guess my, my thing is that while that could track, I just don't necessarily know that they wouldn't still have developed their own independent sort of um, afterlife kind of mythology just based on the fact that they... I mean, that's the thing about mythology is it's really pervasive, and I don't necessarily see it as not happening just because the gold don't believe in it. I don't know. I'm not disagreeing. I just don't necessarily know yeah. if I agree. No, here's <laughs> the thing. Um, I'm the same way. I don't disagree with your point either. It's, again, just me trying to come up with a reason for why that might be. Mostly this comes down to the problem with the fact that, like, they're not thinking about actually developing a real Jaffa culture 
in the canon right now. Oh yeah, no, they're just, just having Teal'c say things right now, which is um, dumb. But I am also thinking way ahead to Anubis. Ah, Anubis and his connection with Ascension. Yeah. And I know, I don't remember exactly how much of Anubis's existence made its way to Jafar talking points. <laughs> I feel, but I feel like there was something, like rumors at the very least, something. I don't know. I'm, I, I, I genuinely don't remember. Yeah, that's definitely something I want to pay attention to when we get to Anubis. Yeah. Because it, it, it kind of falls into the same vague category as like, well, the gold don't really have afterlives because they right. either use the sarcophagus or they jump to a new body. They don't need to die, that kind of thing. Uh, if you've got that with most of the gold and then you've got, like, these myths or legends of, like, Anubis with the Ascension, between those two, I could see where you'd be like, no, you either don't die or you, uh, you know, it's not ghosts. You do, like, the moving up kind of thing. I don't know. Again, that's something I definitely want to pay attention to when we get to Anubis, because I don't remember how much awareness there is of Anubis in the main group, in the main culture. That is a good idea of what they might accidentally retroactively retcon in later. (laughs) Um, One thing I do, I I don't remember for sure, maybe you remember better than me, because you've definitely looked into Egyptian mythology much more thoroughly and recently than I have as a a Uh whole. If, if Fafa, I'm remembering this right, the Egyptian, the ancient Egyptian pharaohs used to not just bring shit with them into the after, the next life, they would bring, like, their retinue as well, like servants and shit. Mm -hmm. So, this is actually tracking with what you were saying, because that would seem like less like death and more like an actual afterlife <laughs> where you're more not... like the ascension yeah yeah conversation than ghosts yeah because you're, you're not like a lost soul flitting around as ghosts are often portrayed even in death you're not allowed to give um you're not allowed to have a an off day you're just a servant for eternity apparently it's lovely <laughs> but yeah so actually that does track with what you're saying um even more so, cool. <laughs> We get some things out of re-recording, because I didn't even think about Anubis the last time we did this. Yeah, me neither. That's weird. (laughs) Cool. But Anubis does raise a lot of interesting questions, and I'm going to try and pay really close attention to Anubis when we get back to them. Yeah, which is kind of funny to me, just because not that the show was at all, like, I don't remember it going downhill or anything around the Anubis storyline. I just remember that the Anubis storyline, to me, kind of represented the moment where the writing began to reach. (laughs) Well, because it was... Very shortly after Anubis that they beat the system lords. Yeah, so it's like, it makes sense that, you know, they were seven years in and they were done. Yeah. Anyway, so, back to the episode. Yeah, I, I remember thinking a lot of the Ascension stuff was pretty interesting, so. It was interesting, I just, it was the partial Ascension part. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm excited to get to, to where we're actually, like, digging into it instead of, you know, just watching it to watch it. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Eric came around the corner and I just had a heart attack. <laughs> Hi, babe. Goodness, I can now accidentally shout if I if I do accidentally shout, I won't be waking up the boyfriend. <laughs> Yay. Yay. But yeah, so after Teal'c gives the one-liner about the Jaffa not blaming in ghosts, uh, the team move out from the camp uh, to get a better lay of the land, and they come across a totem that there's a very obvious imagery of a, a raven eating a snake on the totem. 
Cough, cough. And uh, Daniel says that it tells the tribe's story, and he compares it to the way uh, the Salish tribes on Earth are. And he starts talking about the story on the totem, and about how they were brought here by gold, by the gold, and then freed by the spirit Zales, a benevolent, a benevolent figure represented by a raven. I didn't think about this last time. I really do like that the Native American imagery here of the raven is a positive thing because a lot of other cultures tend to see it as like a foreboding thing. And mm-hmm. that's unfortunate because the the corvid family in general is a really cool species of bird because crows very alone intelligent. are very intelligent. Yeah. Yes. And ravens can talk like like parrots. They can oh, yeah. what mimic I, my... voices just like it. It's so cool. My, uh, one of my uncles as a teenager had a raven as a pet. Oh, I get to tell this story. It's great. No. So this is a fun story. So, uh, he had a raven as a pet and I think he also had like a parrot. I don't know if the parrot was his, but I think it was a parrot. Uh, but at the same time, but the raven was definitely his and the raven hated the parrot, (laughs) hated the parrot. And then at one point, you know, some point during his teenage years or whatever, the parrot died. And the raven literally went, ha ha, he's dead. <laughs> that is a story my mother told me. <laughs> that's amazing. That's that's amazing. Oh my god. Uh... I just like the fact that like ravens can remember people's faces. So like if and, and if you like help one raven, they'll like pass that along to other ravens. I just, yeah, I love ravens in general. They're really beautiful. And then on top of that, they're fucking intelligent, which is awesome. Yeah. No, ravens are great. I also, yeah. one thing I also really appreciated about this, um, and again, I forgot to talk about it uh, when we were recording last time, so hey, Yay. is um, I like the fact that the two spirits that we see really represented here, like, uh, they talk about, they infer that there's a lot more spirits, but the two we get names for and see animal representations for are Zales, the raven, and Takaya, the wolf. Yeah. And I really appreciate that, too, because there's a lot of, um, like, mystical legend and myth connections between wolves and ravens specifically. So I thought that was really cool that the two animal representations of spirits we get here are wolves and ravens who do have that connection there and it's not one that you'd automatically suspect unless you like like looking into that kind of stuff and then you know that they do actually have a connection yeah and i also think on the topic of uh zales being a benevolent spirit i think the fact that they went with uh native americans for this particular storyline works really well because of the fact that like native americans with and I'm going to be doing some generalizations here because yeah. I'm not a huge scholar of the subject. Right. But Native Americans typically will tend to have, when it comes to their beliefs and their stories, will have these spirits instead of, like, the the ordering gods. It's, like, it's a really good contrast to the old way of things where they take a god's name and now they're in charge of these people. Yeah. Whereas the spirits in Native American uh, stories tend to more typically coexist next to the Native Americans and will interact with them and sometimes will have some slightly negative interactions, will sometimes have good interactions. They're 
they're next to them, not above them. Yep. Yep. Much more symbiotic. So it works really well with the story they want to tell here. Uh, so yes. So they're at the totem. Daniel reads the story of this tribe. Um, and there's a moment where Sam, uh, figures out that there's trinium on the totem. Yes, and she does it in such a scientific manner, too, um, with the extremely accurate, uh, metallurgical process of tapping her knife hilt against this shiny metal and going, bang, bang, yep, it's trinium. Yeah, it's a wildly lazy and stupid bit of of dialogue and direction right there, honestly. Yeah, yes, I know that there's trinium on this planet, Sam, but there might be other metals also. Yeah, there's- later on she'll declare that something else is made of trinium, and she's clearly doing a lot more to test this one. Obviously she doesn't have, like, beakers or anything like that, but she's doing more with, like, trying to scrape some of it off to see some of the consistency and that sort of thing later on. This time, again, yeah, she's just banging the hilt of her knife. It's like, that's- no. Yeah, no. it, it literally just goes, boing, boing. Yep, it's trinium. And it's like, uh- uh, no. <laughs> but yeah, so while they're at the totem, uh, they all get darted with sleep darts. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember you bringing up the the rightful slight annoyance of how long it takes Sam to, um... Go out? Go down? Yeah, it's just, it's not even that, it's not even that it takes her a long time, because obviously everyone's gonna react to... Uh, anesthetics a little bit differently. It's just the way they had to shoot it so that sh- they could show her like slowly passing out, but also have her look up in a good enough angle that the camera wouldn't be too freaking tilted to see the the tribes people start to approach. It was just a really awkward shot. It lingered just a little too long, and her head fell just a little too awkwardly and it just it wasn't it wasn't a good shot no it was for all that martin wood is a good director generally this was not a good shot it's funny whenever we like the director uh we tend to give them more like room for stuff like my first thought here was well i'm sure he was working within the constraints (laughs) and it's like if it were another director i'd be like yeah geez bitch can't you figure this shit out Well, you know, he's proven that he does know how to do his job. Yeah, maybe, so, like, yeah, when we see that. a bad thing, where we have to think, well, maybe, you know, he had some issues. Because we know he can do good things. If we have a director where we haven't seen anything good from them, when they do something terrible, we're like, God. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the team wake up in a very open building that doesn't have, like, doors that close. Uh, I used and... to know the name of that kind of... Um structure but i do not anymore <laughs> yes that's the thing i used to know this stuff yeah it's called like a longhouse or something but that's not it it's close but it's not it <laughs> yeah something like longhouse yeah. and they, they uh, were they were open structures designed that way on purpose for the community and for the life yes, of me exactly. i cannot remember what they are called <laughs> yes whatever that was that's what they're in and uh one of them, and they're clearly divested of all of their gear. They don't have any of their weapons. They're down to their black t-shirts. And Sam does uh, a more, a little bit more involved of a test on some of the metals on the wall here and declares that the metal on the wall here is also made of trinium. And despite the fact that they don't have doors in these buildings, when one of them tries to approach the exit, there's clearly people on guard to yeah. keep them inside. 
I do appreciate that sentry because he's not threatening insofar as he's not like overly threatening, but as soon as they try to come out, he just like spins around nope, that get corner. Back in there. He's pointing, <laughs> you know, his weapon at them like nah, uh, uh, uh. and she's like, everyone's like, okay, cool, yeah, we're good, we're good. Yeah, we're no, everyone's being show. very, very uh, good about this. So Daniel points out uh, that this tribe has. This is where he talks about them developing technologically without changing their way of life. Like, because he's seeing, obviously, he's seeing manufactured trinium on the walls, but then, like we said, you're seeing that very um, classic open building um, that neither of us can remember the name of. Right. <laughs> so, like, he, there's very recognizable staples of the, the past culture, but we're seeing developed trinium on the walls. Yeah. So it's a nice, interesting contrast for Daniel. Yeah. Um, I do remember but, we, we touched on one thing with that, which is when he points out that they've, you know, clearly advanced in some ways while maintaining their cultural practices. Um, we both kind of reflected on the fact that it wasn't, again, it wasn't like the episode was like inherently flawed for not having it or anything, but this would have been a better opportunity for them to have some better dialogue. For example, having Daniel mention that there aren't any tool marks or machine marks. Yes, exactly. On the trinium, because mm-hmm. that would, because for example, one of the things that we use to determine how ancient um, cultures, you know, did shit was that we, we investigate, you know, we look, we look at the stuff that they made and we look at the tool marks to see how they made it. And trinium, obviously, we would require a different kind of process to begin with, I'm assuming. And on top mm-hmm. of that, we know that it's not um, refined or made, I guess, in the same way that, like, you know, humans on Earth would do it. Um, so it's, it would have been a good, it would have been a good opportunity for a slightly better bit of dialogue. <laughs> yeah, especially because Teal follows it up by saying uh, that he, he uh, wonders where they do the manufacturing because there's no yeah. signs of it. Exactly, that's right, that's right, that's that's actually where the, the line would have been better. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, but I am, I am going to do my uh, weekly reference to a YA book series right here uh where i'm going to uh bring up artemis fowl the second one arctic incident Uh, i love arctic incident arctic incident is a very good book uh but it's where he's in uh with the therapist and and he's ripping the guy apart in the way Artemis Fowl, only, only Artemis Fowl can, where uh, he finds that he's got, like, the therapist has this chair that he's very fond of, that he's like, yeah, it's an antique from the Elizabethan times or whatever, uh, and Artemis just tears it apart by showing where there's machine tool marks on it, and basically is like, no, it's a fake. It's a good fake, but it's a fake. And again, like... <laughs> If a 12-year-old, again, it's Artemis, so it's not quite the same, but if a 12-year-old can point out tool markings, let's have Teal or Sam or Daniel point out there's no obvious tool markings. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So it would have been a good spot for it. Thankfully, yeah. the episode's not, like, fucked up for not having it, though. No, because, again, I keep saying this, but it's true. That's not the point of this episode. Exactly. <laughs> There's a lot happening in this episode that's not the point of the episode. Yeah. So when they stumble over it a little bit, it ultimately doesn't really ruin the enjoyment of the episode. No. It's just something that we would have appreciated a different line, or it to be taken out entirely, or an additional line added. 
So it's like it's like when two people with uh, speech aphasia try to speak and they go on for an hour because <laughs> it takes forever to get the words out. That's the real reason our podcast wind up being three hours long. It's because neither of us can think of the word we're trying to say. Or so we'd spend thirty minutes talking instead of a minute. But yeah, so uh, the good news is. Tanani's here now. <laughs> Tanani, fucking love him. The best part of this entire episode, this man is a delight the entire way through. This actor is remarkable. I love him. And as I said in our first recording, I will be calling him Tanani because that's how he introduces himself, despite the fact that nine out of ten white people in this episode say any variation of like Tonani. Well, because if you see his name spelled out, it does, it is spelled out with like T-O-E in it. <laughs> I don't remember the exact spelling. Uh, T-O-N-A-N-E. So I, I can see where like they looked at the script and thought that was how his name was pronounced, but it's like you're on, you're on set with this man saying his name to you. You couldn't have heard him say his name and be like, oh, that's how it's said. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I made sure when I did my notes, I wrote his name phonetically so that I knew I was going to be saying it the way he was saying it. Because I'm like, I don't, I don't trust myself to get this right. I'm going to do it the way he said it. But yeah, so, so Tanani walks in and he's wonderful. Uh, he introduces himself and he's, he's got this great tone where he speaks very softly and with a smile. Like there's a smile in his voice. Um, and there's a really great, charming exchange of names that's not condescending at all, where it could have very easily accidentally fallen into that. Oh, yeah. Um, where they basically, because, like, he introduces himself, and then Sam does, like, oh, I'm, uh, Colonel Sam, Samantha Carter of the U.S. Air Force, and he just kind of looks at her for a second, and he's like, that's a very long name. (laughs) Because they have different naming conventions because they're a different culture. Right. And so she's like, oh, just just Sam is fine. And then when she introduces Daniel, she says Dr. Daniel Jackson because Sam doesn't learn. Right. <laughs> and he looks at Daniel for a minute and because Sam was like, oh, just call me Sam. He's like, oh, should I shorten it to Doc? And Daniel's like, no, Daniel. Daniel's fine. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, it's nice because like you could very easily, someone else could have very easily written that exchange to like try and make Tanani look stupid for having this conversation when that's not what it is at all. It's a cultural difference and it's figuring out how to communicate between those two cultures. I think it's what keeps this episode, um, Something we, uh, I think, much more heavily emphasized in our first recording um, towards the beginning that we haven't really done as much here. It was that we obviously are trying very hard not to say that we approve of this episode in any way or whatever because of the fact that we are not Native Americans. Yeah, ultimately, our opinion isn't the one that matters on how respectful or accurate anything in this episode is. Yeah, it's not up to us on that one. That, um, but... I feel like the, um, this element of this, uh, this scene is one of the things that keeps this episode from becoming exploitative, to go off what you were saying, with, you know, could have been really, you know, shitty for Tanane, um, yeah. portrayal-wise, but instead they went with it being what I think is non-exploitative. Yeah, I think there was an effort for respect. There's a lot more respect, I feel, for the culture in this episode yeah. than there was that. in Emancipation. 
I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember an episode called that. I don't. I don't remember this. I don't remember this thing you're speaking of. Yeah, you're right. That that episode. Oh no, sorry. What's the one in Star Trek? What's it called in Star Trek? Code of Honor. <laughs> Code, Code of, of Honor. Honor. <laughs> there yes. you go. Yes. Yeah. Um. That episode where randomly Tasha Yar appears in Stargate. Yeah. Weird for it to yeah. happen in season one, man. God. You don't usually have crossovers that early. Psych took at least one season before we had, like, cool guest stars showing up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, um, then Teal'c introduces himself, and I do enjoy it, because, like, Teal'c only has one name, so, like, there's not any of the, the <laughs> confusion you <know>, there. <laughs> confusion there. But as a offset to that, when Tanani again, still friendly and light and airy with his voice, is like, the spirits tell me you have a demon in you. Oh, I know, I love how he says that. Spirits say there's a demon in you, Teal. Just matter-of-fact, but also not, like, accusatory or shitty no. or anything. Just literally states facts. Again, I will say this a million times in this recording. Tanani is a delight oh, I know. He's in this episode. If nothing else, watch this episode for him. Right? Yeah, so Teal'c says, uh, the demon will pose, what, poses no harm to you or something? Yeah, he says, uh, he promises the demon won't hurt him, but Tanani points out, since they don't know each other, he can't know that his word means anything. Yeah. Basically a And again, of, I'd like still, to believe you, but... <laughs> no confrontation in his voice when he says this. It's oh, yeah. just matter of fact. It's like, I appreciate that you're giving me your word, but I don't know what your word means right now. Yeah, right? Uh, so then he asks, um, why they came through with weapons, if they don't mean any harm. And Sam says that they're for self-defense and that they're looking for their friends. Uh, Tanani says that their friends aren't missing, they're with the spirits. Probably Zales. To which Daniel, not inaccurately, uh, assumes... Means they're dead. Mean they're dead, yeah. <laughs> and Tanani's like, no, no, they're just with the spirits. Which, I don't blame Daniel's reaction here even a little bit, because I'd also be like, so dead. <laughs> I understand that he's trying to. Dip, like, I understand that the other person is trying to tell me that that doesn't mean death, but I'm still sitting here going, "So death." <laughs> yeah. The thing is, I'm thinking about this now, and again, I didn't think about this last time. But Daniel's the anthropologist of the team, uh-huh. and while while Native Americans are definitely not his his expertise, expertise his yeah. focus. He clearly knew enough to, like, know, oh, these are, uh, they're similar to the Salish. Yeah, he even mentions that the Salish have migratory patterns, which means he knows about their migratory patterns. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that makes me feel like he should know that Native American spirits aren't really tied to death. Yeah, I, it's just another example of a slightly weird line. I feel like that line should have come from Teal'c or Sam, not from Daniel. No, yeah, you're I right. think that's the issue. You could still have that question. You could still have me like, no, they're just with the spirits. Daniel shouldn't have been the one to ask it because Daniel knows enough about the Salish that he should know that with the spirits, why would that mean that they're dead? Yeah, it's almost as if this was written by somebody who isn't an anthropologist. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, the show tends to use Daniel more as a linguist. Yeah, but yeah, we definitely his talked other about degrees. that before, which isn't yeah. necessarily a bad thing. It just can have interesting consequences on his lines. 
Yeah, especially because I know in a couple seasons they do kind of, like, rely on his anthropology angle for him being, like, the diplomat of SG-1. Yeah. So it's just interesting. One thing a lot of Trekkies laugh about is uh, Seven of Nine from Voyager, where that uh-huh. thingy, the thingy over her eye that replaces, you know, her eyebrow, and so on. Um, yeah. It's called, for the most part, it's called an ocular implant, except apparently, this is actually like a, almost a direct quote from one of the interviews that uh, Jerry Ryan did, where she was talking about how each writer would use that ocular implant in a different way, depending on the episode. So sometimes it was called the ocular implant, and sometimes it was called the cortical implant, where it would, a different part would be emphasized depending on the needs of the episode. Yeah. So it's kind of like that with Daniel, where his specific stuff is emphasized depending on the needs of the episode. Yeah, I think it's just another side effect of, again, a show with multiple writers. Exactly, yeah. So yeah, not really a bad thing per se, just, you know, oh well. It's not an issue, it's just, it, it would have been a better line for Teal or Sam to say. But yeah, so, where was I? Uh, so Sam asks if they're prisoners, and Tanani says no. Sam asks if they can have their weapons back, and Tanani says yes. Yeah, it's beautiful. Pretty much exactly like that. It's just, she asks a question, no. Ask another question, yes. (laughs) So, Tanani says they came across the missing team, making war on the mountain, trying to take the key, which we understand is the trinium. Um, And Zales told them to fire an arrow through the standing water to warn them away. And that's the part where he says, um, his thing, like, yeah, we thought that would be a warning to you to not come back. Yeah, and then okay. Sam says, no, no, we figured out it was a warning, <laughs> but we don't leave our people behind. Yeah, I, I, I still love how she says it. Um, It's not our custom to leave our people, our friends behind. It's not our custom to leave our friends behind. That was a really good line. <laughs> There's several parts in this episode where we're like, mm, that line should have had another run for it, or it should have had a different person say it. But every now and then we have these lines, which are just really perfectly... The words are selected perfectly. The pacing yeah. of it is perfect. It's just good. It's a really good line. You really couldn't make that line better coming from her in that situation. That being said, not to, not to disagree, but that being said, I feel like, I don't know, what do you think? I feel like it would have been in a slightly better take if she had said the, so their deadline, and Daniel had said the, it's not our custom line. Um, I feel like if they've been reversed, it might have been better. I don't know for sure, though. I don't, I still think, okay, I definitely think Sam should have been the one to say, so they're dead. Yeah, But I do think it is more important for her still to say this line, because ultimately it is more of a military line. Yeah, I can see that. I'll I'll take half an agreement. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so Tanani offers to bring them to the spirits, because he doesn't know where the team is, but Zales might. I love it, because, um... I'm pretty sure this is the part where Teal'c said, not, I'm not entirely sure if it was Teal'c, I can't remember that part anymore, but this is the, I feel like this is the part where they kind of basically say that, oh, so he's going to be blaming it on the spirits. Teal'c and Sam both say was, yeah. that he's using the spirits as a shield for his own actions. And I, in my notes, I say Daniel is quietly quiet. Right, because I'm like, the same kind of feel, it's like, um, I don't know if he's really blaming anything on anyone, guys. He's telling you facts. <laughs> Yeah, and I also definitely think because of, you know, the kind of representation that Daniel is on the team, uh, that outside of, you know, just not agreeing with the idea of Tanani using the concept of spirits as a shield, 
he's not immediately willing to dismiss the concept right away. Especially because this episode has, at the beginning, him bringing up the possibility of ghosts. Yeah. So it makes sense that at this point when Sam and Teal'c, the science mind, and the one whose culture does not believe in ghosts, <laughs> while they're being like, oh, there, there's no such thing as spirits, he's just using that as a shield for his own actions. Whereas Daniel's going, ah, we don't yeah. know yet. We, we don't, don't know, guys. It's almost like he has an open mind. Yeah. Which anthropologists should. Right. And I'll come in handy in a, in a couple of scenes. <laughs> Speaking of an anthropologist, again, a line where it's like, an anthropologist wouldn't use that wording. Yeah. <laughs> um, as they're walking into the, f- the woods to go talk to the uh, spirits. I'm actually going to jump ahead a line here, uh, a line or two, just because it's it's pointed here. As they're going into the forest to you know, speak to the spirits and everything. Daniel says to Sam, like, they might need to do, like, a dance or something to bring the the spirits in or uh, just go along with it no matter how ridiculous... I don't think ridiculous was the word he he, he does. He does say, in fact, ridiculous. He says, no matter how ridiculous it may seem, which is so hella fucking intolerant. I knew it was... If it wasn't... I wasn't necessarily saying that it wasn't, like, a word like ridiculous. I just didn't remember the actual word was ridiculous yeah. but yeah he he says that and it's like an anthropologist would not say that especially five feet away from the man who is leading you into the forest yeah and i'm sorry but when you go into something with that kind of mindset you're not going to set up anybody for success you're just setting them up to think something's ridiculous yeah so, you're so it's a self-fulfilling prophecy at that yeah. point and again, it's just intolerant. When you go up to somebody with the expectation that your culture isn't ridiculous, but theirs is, that's just literally no way to start actual communication. <laughs> no, absolutely not. But yeah, uh, but that's actually in a couple of lines. But I wanted to skip ahead because the, the point matched yeah. with what we were talking about here. But so Sam asked Tanani how they get the impurities out of the trinium. And Tanani talks about how they ask the mountain if they can have some. And if it's in a good mood, it drops them in the river, and the river cleans it, and then they can use it. Doesn't that imply that there are times when the mountain isn't happy? I I did wonder, because you asked that last time and I didn't bring it up, but I did wonder, like, do we know if there's a volcanic activity on this planet? I... Because when you talk about unhappy mountains, that's the first thing you would think of, really. Yeah. So sometimes we ask for the mineral, and sometimes they give it to us in the river, and sometimes they give it to us in the form of lava. Which, they're, if they're migratory people, that's only so troublesome. It just means, oh, we gotta move a little quicker this time. Yeah. There's also the possibility that they might be, like, you know, during their migratory, during times when they're in a different part of the planet. Uh, maybe yeah. maybe it's to, like, for example, lava beds. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, I didn't, I, I thought about that before. I'm like, Angry Mountain makes you think volcanic activity. I like a, a I like a lot of the way he describes things. Yeah, I'm not against it. I just the, I don't know, the line in the episode just kind of makes me think that there might have been another idea behind it to the point of like, like I don't know. The good mood part just makes me think. Okay, so are there times when the mountain is in a bad mood? Like, yeah, <laughs> like I, I don't know. yeah. Last time you brought up like you thought maybe there was another tiny plot point that had Something. to get dropped yeah. ultimately for time or whatever. Maybe yeah. Who knows. But yeah, so Tanani, they get into the forest, and Tanani just shouts into the forest for the spirits. 
And Daniel's like, oh, I thought you would have to do, like, a dance or something. And so Tanani's like, I know. And Tanani's like, yeah, we used to. My my grandfather, my great-grandfather uh, used to do that. But one day, the spirits came to us and said, hey, just say my name. We're good. First a little bit of foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, it's good. And also, it's just, it's really charming. Because it's just like, hey, buddy, you could just say my name. We're, we're, we're friends. We're pals. You don't got to dance for me to get me here. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's just kind of charming. <laughs> it's like, because we'll get to the point uh, way later on in this where we, you know, I'm going to do a huge spoiler here. <laughs> uh, we're always doing spoilers, but I'm going to do a spoiler for, for 30 minutes from now. Uh, we're going to find out that these spirits are uh, an alien race who have been posing as yeah. their spirits this whole time. And they basically took this form to peacefully coexist next to these people mm-hmm. and to protect them in a direct contrast to the way the gold world would work. Yep. They're um, similar to the Asgard in this way, except they don't have multiple planets, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, and what I like about this bit where they're like, hey, buddy, you don't got to do the dance anymore, just ask for us and we'll come, is it's got that sort of feel to it where, you know, they're not saying, like, hey, this thing you're doing is pointless. Right. They're just saying, hey, you don't got to do that anymore. We're good. (laughs) You know? They're still respecting their ways and operating within their sphere of beliefs and, you know, ways, their customs. Mm -hmm. But they're just simplifying things a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Uh, Takaya the wolf spirit comes out and Tanani... You know, tells her, oh, your your pelt's looking very beautiful, your fur's looking very beautiful today, and then tells Sam, you know, a little flattery wouldn't hurt you. <laughs> and Sam struggles to do anything other than pull a little red riding hood and say that Tatkaya's eyes are very big. She does try. <laughs> That's all I got for her, is that she does try. Barely. Barely. <laughs> Uh, she, she pretty much right away is like, listen, I, I, all I'm seeing is a wolf here. I can't do this. Yep. Um, but then Zales the raven flies in and Daniel clearly doesn't struggle with talking to the spirits like she does and just walks right up to it and just starts speaking like, hey, can, can, you know, can we get our friends back? They didn't mean to do anything offensive, you know, (laughs) just like. Doing a Daniel, talking to the raven. <laughs> and then, uh, well, after he talks and asks uh, Zales, the raven, if he can have their friends back, uh, the raven crows, and then um, Daniel goes like, whoa, did, did you hear that? I think he said yes. And, I remember this like, now, because you were like, I really want this to not be bad. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I, I was, I, I believed it because of the fact that, like, Daniel's reaction seemed earnest, and he's honestly not the type of person who would have faked something like that. No. No, that would be so disrespectful. Yeah, and also the fact that, like, Teal'c follows it up right afterwards, also seeming surprised. Yeah, that's Yes, I believe I heard it too. And there's something of the fact that, like, their understanding of what they thought the Raven said was kind of vague, Um, whereas... Tanani's like, really? I thought he said he'd think about it, but, like, in a positive sort of manner. Like, he's not saying no, he's just being, like, it's not an immediate yes. It's all in the same, like, vein of, like, a communication. And he talked about how, like, 
how there could be some telepathic communication going on here where if your mind isn't open to the possibility of it, you're not going to have the right wavelengths to receive any yeah, of it. Yeah, I figured that it had something to do with, um, less to do with, um, like, what we consider traditional telepathy and more to do with the re- receptivity and, um, oh, fuck me, what's the word? Not coinciding, but close enough, the matching wavelengths that would be required yeah. for communication. And by being open-minded and not just like, nope, this isn't going to happen, <laughs> that allows for some, some passage of thought. Yeah, and it's not it's not quite the same category, but like just the fact that Daniel went into that, you know, willing to consider the possibilities from the beginning. Like like I said, he was very pointed about not talking when they're like, "Oh, they're just using the spirits as a shield," and blah blah blah, and like was absolutely willing to have a conversation with a raven up in a tree and very earnest about it and everything. There's something to be said about the scientific the proven scientific uh, effect of placebo. Yes. Hell yeah. Like, that's an actual thing. If you believe something will work, it, it is it just more might. likely to work <laughs> than if you don't believe it. Yeah. I mean, how much do you love that MASH episode that's based on that concept? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so they basically... <sighs> I I feel like Zales only said I'll think about it so that they could walk like 10 feet more into the uh, forest so that they could find a suitably dramatically misty part of the forest. And I'll keep it I'll keep it short this time as it is as I didn't last time, but uh there's a phenomenon that happens a lot in voice acting where they will uh one actor knows that their line is going to be interrupted so they prematurely cut themselves off. Um, yeah, and I hate line, it. And yeah, there's, and there's way too much of a pause then between their line being cut off and the next line being spoken. This scene is annoying to me because this is the visual uh, equivalent of it where, um, I'll let you explain what happens, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, so what happens is they walk into a clearing where across from them is a very mist-covered uh, bit of the forest. And as they're walking, Teal suddenly says, like, wait, I see something. Or something along those lines. Yeah, because they're talking and, about like, how, the like, camera... when the spirits are going to give them back people. Like, when are they going to give it back? And then he goes, Captain Carter. <laughs> Actually, no, to be fair, after they say that, Zales flies in again. And, you know, cause again. And Sonani's like, oh, you decided that quickly. But then he looks like Captain Carter. Says, yeah. and, and then the camera focuses on a completely empty, misty part of the forest. For, like, a good couple pause... seconds. <laughs> yeah. And then people start to emerge from it. It's like, what was he reacting to? <laughs> I do love how an hour and 40 minutes in is when you finally get to the part of why my joke was there. Because Roger <laughs> Cross finally shows up. <laughs> Yay! But yeah, He's great in this. He, he does an amazing job of being aware of all of the levels to his character the entire time oh, through. Yeah. No, he does a great job of playing a layered character because of that. And I am... Um, Again, thankfully, be able to keep this a lot shorter than I did last time, because uh, uh, I fully intend to make you watch Dark Matter someday. Because it was a good show, weird but good. Um, someday, not flawless but good, and I liked it. And he was in it. Um, that was he was. Not, I don't think his first main role in the show, but like one of the ones that I first one I ever really knew him as a main. 
because up until this point, I've always kind of considered him a bit of a perpetual extra. <laughs> yeah. But he has a character very kind of similar, not at all in terms of storyline or anything like that, but he has to play a character with layers, as in there's a lot more going on for him than meets the eye, and mm-hmm. he has to play it as such. And he does such a good job! But yeah, I just really enjoyed seeing that in this, because it's like, holy shit, he really was that good of an actor from, like, the beginning of his career. Cool. <laughs> yeah. No, and he's also one of the only um, non-native people in this episode that pronounces Tanani's name correctly. Right? Which, you know, could be said that it's a good example of just, you know, the actor paying attention. And another thing is it also totally makes sense for his character. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. 100%. So, yeah, he's here now. Yes. SG-11 has emerged from the mist. Yes, they have. And uh, they seem confused. They claim they don't remember where they've been for the past 48 hours. Uh, Tanani says they'll have to ask the elders if they want to have some of the key. Um, And the elders basically say, hey, your methods are destructive and wasteful. Yeah. And ask why they can't be content with what washes into the river. Because white people aren't content with anything. Yeah. And Sam says they need more than that, but they do have less destructive methods to my with. And uh, there's an interesting parallel here to be found in in uh, in white people's demo- destruction of, of the buffalo herds, where they basically hunted them to extinction and left waste. Like, didn't, didn't use all the parts, just were wasteful about it. And I think I feel like that was a purposeful, like they never mentioned the buffalo, right? But I do feel like it's it no, was it a is purposeful an illusion, it's an illusion. illusion yeah. there. Yeah, I can see that. For definitely. anyone who knows the history, they're going to see that parallel. But yeah, but there, but she's like, yeah, we have less destructive methods. We can show you if Tanani wants to come back through with us. We can show him some. And uh, they're and the the spirits are like, no, that's too dangerous. Yeah, because Raven starts going. Ah. <laughs> yeah, and the elders are like, oh no, Zale says that's too dangerous. But Tanani's like, well, if it's safe for them, it should be safe for me as well. Missing the point that Zales doesn't trust Tanani with them. <laughs> yeah, it's less to do with the gate and more to do with them, Tanani. <laughs> yeah, um, and so they go back through. They're at Med Bay. Everyone's getting checked in at Med Bay, and Jack is still there. So while they're there, Sam is giving Jack a recap of what we've all been through. And we come in at the end of her recap, basically. Which is honestly, it's a method that's been done a million times before. It's not anything new, but it's well done. We don't need to see her say all this again, but we know that she's given him all this information because we come in at the end. It's just a good framing reference. It is. Again, like I said, it's nothing new. But it's, it's uh, competently done here. So uh, there, there's a scene where uh, Tanani's like, I, I thought you were going to show me mining. What are we doing here? And uh, Roger Cross, is that his name? Yep. Uh, his character is clearly being checked over. And he's like, it's, you know, it's part of the process. Anytime someone comes through the gate, they got to check, get checked over first. It's perfectly safe. Don't worry about it. And reassures him. Another foreshadowing moment. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because he, he he goes through it first before telling Tanani that it's fine. Yep. So. It's also the way he, like, very carefully addresses specifically Tanane in that moment. Yes. It's it's nice. 
Again, like like we said, he does a really good job of not being obvious at this point, but there's still being interesting layers to what he's portraying. Yeah, it's very well done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are in the briefing room and they're showing Tanati videos of alternative mining methods. That's far and... less wasteful looking. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, these still seem destructive and wasteful. I don't know what you're saying. These these look terrible. And Hammond's like, oh, well, you, you haven't seen the videos after where we, you know, rebuild the mountain and, and we replant trees and everything. And I'll say... It's not any... Oh, sorry? I was just gonna say, and I'll say real quick on that note, I love that, that convenience that we rebuild the mountain. You mean you fill it with water. You fill mm-hmm. the cavity you made with water and you put, make a half-ass attempt at putting some trees back. Yeah, but Tanani doesn't buy it anyway. He's just like, no, I... This, we're not going to be okay with this. I'm sorry. This isn't. This isn't okay. Yeah, I mean, because it's not. <laughs> yep. Uh, but yeah, so he basically says, "Listen, you can, you can still, you know, ask for the the key, but you're going to have to wait for it to wash in the river like we do. We can't, we can't approve this. This is, this is destructive." Um. So they very, they make a very pointed effort. Of sending Daniel out of the room with Tanani to give him a tour of the mountain. Because as soon as Daniel's out of the room, Hammond's like, look, the Pentagon has said we need this one way or another. So what we're going to do is we're going to wait until they do their migratory patterns. And once they're away from the mining area, we're going to mine it the way we want to behind their backs. And then we'll just leave before they come back. And they had to do that with Daniel out of the room because they all knew that Daniel would not approve and Daniel would, uh, make it not happen. He would immediately tell Tanani. Because here's the thing, nobody in that room is happy about it. Not even Hammond. And Hammond's a lot more like, look, we're gonna do this. And, like, Jack and Sam and, you know, the leader of SG-11, they're all like, no, I don't like this. Jack brings up Aboriginal rights and repeating history. Yeah. You know, nobody's happy about it. Oh, yeah, because the American government uh, has done that before. They would wait until the natives would move from the area and then just swoop in. Yeah, and, but the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, they're military, so whether they're happy about it or not, up above is said that's what they're doing. So that's what they're doing. Yeah. Which is why they had to send Daniel out of the room. Because we've already seen them with the Tolan, where he's like, Mm-mm, I'm not going along with that. It, it should be noted, though, uh, that this is a good episode for it, don't get me wrong, because it does establish, you know, finally that Hammond, who up until this point has basically just always been the benevolent grandpa type who's strong where it needs to be to protect his people kind of stuff you see the other light of that where is he's kind of the bad guy in this episode because when you said that there no one's happy in that room there's two kinds of not happy there's the convenient not happy which is like well i'm not happy about it but it has to be done and that's the end mm-hmm. of the conversation internally for somebody or there's yeah. the i'm not happy about it and i'm following this order under noted protest kind of thing right yeah. actually like you know actually providing resistance and hammond is a good example of uh, an, the first uh, one? Yes, a different kind of view where he definitely, quote-unquote, isn't happy about it, but he definitely doesn't consider that to be a non-qualifier. Like, he doesn't care, ultimately, because he has no problem sweeping that aside for the better of everything or whatever shit like that, where those kinds of um, arguments are made by people who are conveniently not happy. <laughs> yeah. 
the this Hammond is a lot more like uh, season one, episode two, three Hammond, the one who barely listened to any of Daniel's requests about like dealing with the cultural side of yeah. any of their missions, which is why he sent Daniel out of the room. Yeah. But yeah, it's just interesting seeing Hammond as the bad guy. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, especially because, what was it, like, four episodes ago, we had, um, Hammond having, again, a sort of dark side with secrets. Yeah. I, like, we're not happy that Hammond's doing this. Yeah. But I appreciate that, like, the writing's good. He's, he's a point. real character. Yes, like, exactly. there's, there's bad points to his character, and they're not shying away from the conflict that he's gonna have to deal with in the position he's in. Yeah. He's not the most toxic version of a of a patriot because I honestly hate that word. When people describe themselves as patriots, I'm like, oh, so you're an asshole. You're you're just an asshole. Because yeah. yeah. no one who was no no one who actually I don't know. It tends it's so often used in the wrong way. So I don't really respect people inherently when they tell me that they're a patriot. And so he's not that for, he's not that form that you know that complete toxic form. But nine times out of ten, if someone calls themselves a patriot, they're also a racist. <laughs> Like that kind of stuff. It's like, I'm a patriot, therefore I come first. Me and my and, kind come first. And I'm being generous, letting there be that one person that isn't. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, that was my only point there. But yeah, so uh, Jack and Sam walk off unhappy, but ultimately they're not going to go against Hammond's word. Uh the leader of SG-11 sticks around and actually follows Hammond into his office. And when Hammond starts to be like, hey, I told you, you know, dismissed or whatever, suddenly he raises his arms up and does uh, this, like, closing motion with them, and Hammond disappears. And then the SG-11 team leader turns to the rest of his team, and <laughs> the SG-11 team are actually the spirits of disguise. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, these people had no intention of working with us. With us, they just want to cause harm. Let's go find our friend and, and, and fuck these assholes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So basically, their mission right now is to get Tanani and leave. Uh, so the first place they wind up going is the labs, where uh, they disappear the two people in it. Although the doctor that's in the lab manages to hit one of the warning alarms as he's getting disappeared. So there's a slight warning, but, like, not a directed warning, like, alarm blaring going off. Yeah. Which is enough to get Jack's attention to where he sees them disappearing some people, and he sneaks around them to get to the dialing room and locks the whole place down and, like, actually puts, like, a mountain-wide alarm alert on, calling it a Code 9, which apparently we will find out in like 30 seconds is where everyone's supposed to go to the armory to gear up uh because yeah um and when we get to the armory the only people who manage to get to the armory is sg1 it just course. so happens that the core members getting paid here. yeah <laughs> that's a, that's one of those obvious like bits of convenience it's like fine whatever <laughs> Not really true to how he does it, but the uh, guy from Cinema Sins has this thing that he does where, like, a character who's in, like, a movie who has, like, no lines for some reason or is barely used or whatever, but, like, they're, like, in the scene, except they're not, except for when they randomly chime in with, like, one line. And my favorite example of it is in one of the Fast and the Furious videos he did where he goes, yeah, you earned that, earn that paycheck, Tyrese. 
Oh, it's like that moment. It's like it's not really how he does it. Um, it's not really true for how his form is. But that this moment is always those moments where I'm like, yeah, that's right. Earn those paychecks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so while the code nine alarm is going off, uh, Tanani is with Daniel, and he's like, "What is what does that sound mean?" And Daniel, who doesn't want to alarm Tanani, and obviously doesn't actually know what's happening yet, except that like they're in a lockdown where they're under attack. Uh, is like, uh, it means that you're gonna get a, a tour of a part of the mountain that very few people do. And then takes him into a storage closet. Well done. Very well executed, Daniel. I just, I, I appreciate it, because he's like, I, I need to keep this guy safe. Uh, here we're going. <laughs> we're going in here. <laughs> uh, so at the armory, it's just SG-1. And there's a really great little unspoken bit of uh, acting here where... Uh, Jack pulls out a gun from the armory, hands it to Sam, who prepares it for him, and then hands it back to him, because he's only got one working arm right um, now. Yeah, I love their seamless communication there, or not needing it's communication so good. there. Yeah, there was no, there's no spoken, like, they're having a, an entirely different conversation nice. while this is happening. He, it's just natural. I pull this down, hand it to you, you set it for me, give it back to me. Yeah. I love it because on one hand, it's probably just meant to emphasize how they have developed as a team and can operate like this so well. But as I always mention, including Your last time, heart. <laughs> I, I see this as a true understanding of their deep love. This is, this is another uh, sign of it coming through where they don't need to speak because sad? they know each other so well. You know what we lost in this in in our in our first recording? Husband Daniel scene, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was just thinking you didn't mention the whole part where when Jack got shot, Daniel cradled his body. On I the thought ground. about it, but we were already moving on and I was like, eh, it's not that important. <laughs> I just thought about it because last time you were like equal equal attention paid to both ships. And this time right. sadly we forgot about it. I mean, now you brought it up, when Jack is shot and he's like, you know, hauling his shot ass up daniel's right there immediately to you know to prop up and cradle him and it's mostly so that daniel so that jack can offer the line of like yeah no i'm not okay because you know arrow yeah (laughs) but i yeah i I did have a note where i was like what actually here it is uh daniel's such a good husband supporting jack's whole body (laughs) (laughs) honestly and and like okay so i was joking about like giving each ship their their due yeah. time here, but like the the two interactions there are actually really great portrayals of both of their you know connections there because yeah. Daniel's interaction with him was more supportive, um, protective, supportive, whereas Sam's was a more action oriented, battle oriented. Dan- sorry, nurture. That's what I was the word there I was looking go. for with Daniel. Daniel's was a more supportive, nurturing interaction because it was oh you're hurt let me support your body yeah whereas sam's was oh you're hurt let me prepare you for battle (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) and it's just the two ways that the the two people they are in jack's life (laughs) oh yeah hey i said it last time i i i have no problem with them being in a polyamorous relationship (laughs) jack has two hands You can hold both of their hands at the same time. Yeah, it's not that I didn't remember you said this last time and that it was going to end with holding hands, but you said Jack has two hands there, and I went down a different route. 
Oh no, no, it's it's the meme. Do you know? Yeah, you don't know memes. I don't. No, it's basically this. It's it's a meme of basically like, why would you have these two ships fight when this one person has two hands and they can hold both characters' hands at the same time? There you go. No, it's it's a much better and much more innocent way of putting it than mine. <laughs> So yeah, uh, they are basically, you know, trying to go through and figure out what's going on, and they run into, they go to the lab, and suddenly the doctor that we know got disappeared is there, and he claims that he managed to, like, duck away, um, before he could get, you know, zapped like everyone else, and it's very obvious that already the team does not believe him. (laughs) They're already suspicious of him. He also claims that it was Tanani who was disappearing people. Yeah, which, Uh, thanks to you last time pointing this out to me, it makes way more sense than my initial impression of, like, why the fuck are they blaming Tanane? Like, I thought you guys liked him. (laughs) And then you were like... Yeah, whereas what it really is, is their main goal is to find Tanani, so... If they are pretending to be this doctor in the base, and they're like, oh, it's Tanani who's disappearing people, we have to find him, then he's thinking SG-1 will help him find Tanani. <laughs> uh, yeah, it makes complete sense. But yeah, so they they get out into all the hallway. They, they let him believe that they believe him until they get out of the lab and in the hallway, and then they all pull their weapons on him and are like, who are you really? <laughs> and he basically reveals that he's one of the guardian spirits. He says he's one of Tanani's guardian spirits. And then, uh, he, if he's not returned safely, SGC will never get their people back. And Jack says, they don't respond well to threats. And the fake doctor, the spirit, says, neither do we. And starts to make the arm movements to disappear people, but Teal zaps him with a zap gun first. Yeah, I might as well say it here then instead of last time where I... I did it much longer and towards the end. I'll do the concise version here. This is that part where I'm pretty much under the impression, we we both are, we're under the impression that the uh, aliens use matter folding. Yeah. yeah. Because it seems like they, this is, as I said last time, it's a, a broad interpretation of it, but it seems that they exist in a different reality considering how they're able to teleport, as we'll see later, speak to each other without any obvious communication devices, and uh, shapeshift at will. As yeah. well as later, a small scene will imply to me anyway that they kind of exist in their own like little subspace pocket. Yeah, that they, that they bring with them basically into our reality. That when that gets disrupted, that's why they might you know fall unconscious. Um, but yeah, I definitely yeah have you to make go an with... assumption that that's how they're healing him later yeah. too. Yeah, I, yeah, like they're like you know realigning the resonance or whatever of the pocket to allow him to regain consciousness. Um, but yeah, I have to go with the impression here of of matter folding because it. It's not like it's a bad concept, it's just, it's literally the only thing that can be applied in so many ways here that I can think of anyway. I'm sure there's other scientists. Yeah, that's the thing, because, like, they never address the technology these people are using. They never see them wearing technology. They are literally wearing, like, these shiny, silver dress-looking outfits, and that's it. We don't see any technology on them. Yeah. See, I just kind of figure they live in a slightly, like, they originate in a slightly different... Like, maybe out of phase reality that mm-hmm. not from ours or so on and so forth, and that, that while they're able to exist in ours, it's with specific, specific caveats. I, I don't, I don't have any reason not to buy it. Also, the fact that if they, if they naturally exist on a slightly different phase from, you know, other people, 
it would make it more easy for them to it would make it it would make more sense for them to have the idea in the first place to pose as the Salish's spirits. Oh yeah. It would totally make it would sense be that... an easier way to communicate. It would be a more natural way to communicate oh, yeah. through these other venues. No, I'm definitely down for it. Besides, I mean, we 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 consist we can we consider deities and you know spirits and stuff like that to exist in a different plane of existence than us anyway, just by nature mm-hmm. of their reality, their uh, by nature of their nature. So it could totally track on that aspect. Yeah, I'm sure somewhere some somehow there's a scientist listening to this going, "Fuck no." <laughs> <laughs> Fuck no, that's wrong. Well, it's science fiction. It's right. science fiction. Yeah. So ultimately, Fuck it, right? I I don't care. <laughs> yeah, right. No, but I, I that's yeah. So that this this reveal uh, moment, you know, where that guy gets shot and then transforms back in, or not transforms, but the uh, mirage effect dissipates and he reverts back to his actual. Yeah, that's the thing. Look. It definitely looks like a mirage dissipates. Yeah. That's that's exactly the the image we get there. Because you don't uh, see their faces, this... like, elongating, for example, or transforming like you would, like, in a werewolf transformation or something like that. You don't see them transforming so much as a full moment yeah. of transformation. Mm-hmm. No, I, Mirage is a perfect uh, word choice for it. Uh, and we get and we see what is clearly some sort of, like, alien race. They've got these interesting, like, um, gills on almost them. like gill kind yeah. of things on their face. Uh, that clearly move when they're breathing and everything. Uh, and he, they grab the guy and drag him to med bay while he's unconscious. Uh, and we oh. see more... Yeah? Sorry, I just... This is the first time I've thought of this, but I just... I've never really... I have such appreciation for characters in these TV shows because they're obviously much more, you know, they're obviously different physical specimens than me, where I was like, I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself, you know, that out of shape. I wouldn't consider myself in shape. But, um... I can only think about, like, you know, like you said, like, dragging, right? Granted, it's on a smooth floor and everything, but I can't help but picture it as, like, if I had to drag this, you know, six-foot dude on my own, I'd be like, <laughs> it's like, it's, just, it's a good thing I'm not in these TV shows, because there'd be, like, a five-minute-long scene of me just going, because <laughs> I just drag him bit by bit, well, because it's all just a crap show. <laughs> well, the good news for this guy is it's Teal'c that's dragging him. Oh, there we go. Exactly. And Teal'c is a monolith. Yes, he and is. And when he, when I say dragging, it's barely dragging. Like, the heels of the dude's feet are dragging. Yeah. Teal'c is easily carrying the rest of him. Fucking hell, he's strong. Yeah, yeah that's why I said, when I say dragging, it's barely. Well, Teal'c think- is easily managing this guy. <laughs> Uh, so then we go to Hammond's office, and uh, we see that there's a fake Hammond now, who is also one of those aliens in disguise, and the wolf also transforms into one of those aliens, um, and she is Takaya, and uh, she tells the fake Hammond that they lost, uh, basically, they they transform because they've lost conscious contact with the one, Zales, the one that SG-1 just shot. And basically Takaya tells Fake Hammond if you lose, if either of us lose contact with each other destroy this place. I'm not judging them entirely for this but I do feel like it's a bit of an overreaction. Oh, no, these guys are 100% overreactors. There's no getting around that. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't blame them in the sense of, like, they know for a fact that these people were lying to them and were going to, you know, uh, deceive the Salish and you know, violate the planet, and so on. So I'm not really mad at them, but at the same time, it's like, okay, yes, but I'm not entirely sure that the argument of destruction 
meriting other destruction is really always the way. No, like, these guys are definitely kind of drama queens. Just what we've yes. seen of them. They're a little dramatic. Okay, so their species name is the Dramaticists. Okay. They're the Thespians? Okay, that one. <laughs> that, right there. The Thespians. Okay, so, um, we go back to Daniel, uh, who, this, this conversation just happened to be having, uh, like, five feet away from the closet that Daniel's hiding in with Tanani. What a coincidence! Yeah, and so he observes this and then closes the door again, and then Tanani's just behind him like, can I go home? <laughs> Your closet's nice and all, but I'd like to uncloset myself and go home, please. And Daniel tries for about 15 seconds to act like he's still giving it to her. I feel like there was a roll of toilet paper involved, too. Yes, he literally picks up, he's, he's trying to tell Tanati about the storage room, and as he's doing it, he picks up a roll of toilet paper. And then while he's holding the toilet paper, he's like, look, I'm gonna be honest with you. Yes, there is a problem. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. I've run out of ideas. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, we have to find Jack. I'll keep this quick, I promise. But you've seen uh, Big Hero 6, right? Yeah. Okay. I, you know how much I love that scene. I think I've told you this already, but where they're, they're running from the uh, factory and he looks back at Baymax and Baymax goes, I am not fast. Yes! That line fucking kills me every fucking time. But I, I am think not is, fast. All I can think here is, I'm gonna be honest with you, Tanane, I am not good at stalling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be very in character, actually, for him to say that. Right? So yeah, that's just kind of how I envision it. That's absolutely what is, it's good. It's just great. Because it's like, yeah, this is not the kind of person Daniel is. He's not this subterfuge character which is why it's gonna be hilarious when he has to go undercover as a system lord's assistant down the line <laughs> i cannot wait for that episode and not just because of the context it's just like why did you send daniel in <laughs> it's just funny that of all people they sent on a subterfuge alone it's fucking daniel <laughs> <The> non-spy <laughs> yes the most non-spy to ever non-spy Mm-hmm. So, uh, the team all unite, reunite in the infirmary, uh, and they show Tanani the real body of his spirit, Zales. Which, this is where, um, oh, I guess we haven't actually touched on it, really, in this in this particular recording. Um, this episode, despite its uh, best efforts, definitely still hardcore toes the line with the white savior trope. And this is, yeah. honestly, one of the stronger elements of it, where they're like, hey, I know, I guess it could be construed that they're doing this, you know, to help themselves, obviously, because, you know, they don't want to be destroyed and all that stuff. Uh, but the fact of, the fact is that they literally immediately go and try to completely dispel the entire mythology that, um, that is a huge integral part of Tanane's culture. They're just like, yeah, by the way, they're all aliens, um, so stop believing and help us out. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. I'm not going to completely defend the episode for doing this, because it is kind of iffy like the characters themselves cannot be defended for doing this yeah. um but i do think the episode kind of makes a point of the fact that they're not doing this they're not doing this for selfless reasons yeah. although it also makes a point of the fact that like they do at least have a reason for thinking that this is the right thing to do because right after showing him look this is what your spirits really look like uh, Tilk makes the comparison 
to the gold pretending to be gods. Which, once again, his, so, Tanani's, Tanani's response there, though, is beautiful as always. Yes. Uh, basically, like, um, that's very sad for you, but my spirits aren't evil. They're thinking, you know, that they're coming from a good place there, as white It's absolutely a white do. savior thing, because <laughs> yeah. they think they're protecting exactly. him by revealing this to him. Yeah. At least but it wasn't, I, think I guess, for evil intentions. <laughs> yes, but I think there's definitely a strength in this episode in the fact that Tanani doesn't seem terribly ruffled by this, um, this reveal. Yeah. I just- Because he's, even when he's a little bit like, oh, that's what they look like? And, and when Teal says like, yeah, the gold would do this, he's like, okay, that's, I'm sorry for you, but that's not, that's not how my spirits work. Even when they're trying to do the white savior thing, Tanani's not quite receiving it. He's like, nah. <laughs> Which is, you know, obviously another um, indication of when shit is badly written and obviously made to be white savior-y. You'll notice how the uh, the person being, you know, mansplained to is often like, oh, thank you for showing me. Like, they're idiots yeah. or whatever. It's almost as if they... Because they're always, they're always like portrayed as people who can just, like, immediately drop all of their beliefs. Which, I don't know about you, but most people don't work like that. <laughs> Which is not what Tanani exactly. does. Which is so, much more realistic. Yeah. Which is why, yeah, that's why like they toe the line. But thankfully, I think they stay mostly on the good side. Again, they don't succeed entirely, but they it no, could be worse. No. This, this wasn't like I don't know Green Book level crap. Um, no, God, no. Like I, I said, I said it earlier. This episode, at least, tries to be respectful. Yeah, yeah. I just, in their approach, I just if get they, really sensitive to it. <laughs> yeah, if they fall short. It's not on purpose. Yes, that one I will give you. They're not trying to lie and manipulate SG-1, but they're close to manipulation, so that one is the part that I get uh, sensitive to. Yeah, no, again, they're they're definitely doing the wrong thing here. Because yeah. ultimately, they're deciding that they know better than Tanani does exactly. about this. And that's what fucking And then they're off. making the decision for him. Also, and making, that's the issue. Yeah. Also making a, 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 again, not, it's not that it's not, you know, understandable, but they do make a massive leap from, okay, so these people are posing as your spirits to, okay, the spirits are trying to rule the Salish. And I'm like, uh, when was it ever implied that the spirits were ruling? <laughs> yeah, there was no signs of that at yeah. all. And again, yeah, they, they have had bad experiences with the gold, right, right. so, so it's not, it's not there's not some <laughs> understanding of having that trigger reaction, right. but again, they're not on the right side of things here. Nope. This is one of those episodes, and I actually appreciate that Stargate does this, where sometimes we have episodes where SGC are not the good guys. Nope. I mean, yes, sorry. <laughs> I'm agreeing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It was the no where you're agreeing with me. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, it didn't help my tone was also like, no. <laughs> so it sounded kind of like I was just going, no, Mel, fuck you. How dare you? How they're dare always you. the heroes. <laughs> they're they're soldiers with nerves of steel. So, they... Oh, he says the spirits would only have attacked the space if SGC was threatening Tanani's people. And everyone's kind of like, ugh. <laughs> like, the, like the pulling the collar away from the neck kind of thing. 
And Jack points out they got pl- they got caught plotting behind closed doors. So even if they, you know, approach the spirits now and are like, look, we promise we won't do this, blah, blah, blah. Their word doesn't mean anything right now. It's like bringing, it's like that, you know, phrase, they're not sorry that about what they did. They're sorry they got caught. Exactly. It seems like uh, it anyway. <laughs> yeah. So Daniel says, well, all we can do is try to appeal to the elders. And so what they're planning on doing is sending, um... Daniel and Tilt through while Sam and Jack try and hold down the fort somehow. But as soon as they get to the gate room, Takaya is already waiting on the ramp up to the gate. Yep. Which is smart, because, like, what else are they going to do except try to go back through the gate at some right. point, you know? Right. Um, especially since it's very obvious that they've, like, shut down the base, so going up isn't an option. Uh, so Daniel t- decides to go in to basically be like, look, I-, I know you want to disappear me, but please, let's talk first. And she does disappear. Is it Teal'c that she disappears? Yes. Yes. She does disappear Teal'c, and she's about to disappear Daniel, and he's like, look, I can bring you to Zales. <laughs> Just promise you'll listen to me first, and I can bring you to Zales. And then there's a great moment where when he brings her in and the rest of them in to see Zales, who, uh, there is actually a point where when the rest of the team are there alone with Zales, they, they talk about how they think he's faking something yep. out because they're assuming that his, his biology is going to respond to Zat guns the same as human bodies. Uh, but yeah, so Daniel brings, yeah, so Daniel brings the rest of the thespians in to see Zales and there's a fun little moment uh, where Jack is like, hey, how do I know you're Daniel? And Daniel's only answer is, because. <laughs> and Jack's like, okay, yeah. <laughs> and now and that I can hear I you properly, both... now that I can hear you properly, I want to uh, repeat you this time. <laughs> yes. No, last time we recorded this, um, your your internet cut out a couple of times. <laughs> Uh, are right around this point. And so we both wound up making references to the great moment in X-Men with Mystique coming in and replacing people regularly. So when um, when Wolverine comes back to the team after splitting off for a little while, uh, Cyclops is like, how do I know you're really you? And Wolverine's only response is, you're a dick. And Cyclops is like, it's him. Yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> It's like a friendly version of that. Right? No, that's great. I feel like it's Jack going, only you could be this awkward. It's you. <laughs> it's really you, Daniel. No no alien could rightfully act out this awkwardness. Right. Uh, but yeah, so all the aliens form a circle around Zales and hold their hands over him. And it's very similar to the way the Nox all circled around the family and he- healed their... Their one injured family member. To be fair, Nox Nox also had a similar technology with the phasing. Yeah, but theirs theirs wasn't as much matter as it was um, invisibility. Although those are sort of in the same vague category. Yeah, like like I said, kind of like more to do with phasing than folding, but yeah. Yeah, to be honest, I feel like the Thespians are a combination of the Nox and the Tolan. I, I know it wasn't the case, but I was trying to think about maybe how maybe... The, the, as we're calling them, the thespians might have been like an early attempt, an idea maybe at, because we never do meet the furlings. 
Yeah, that's that becomes a joke in episode two hundred yeah, that the, we never meet the furlings. That we meet the Ewoks instead. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but you know, who's to say they were furry? <laughs> you know, yeah. because because yeah, I mean, for example, in history, this happened before. We Cinderella and the glass slippers. It was um, an accident, as a mistranslation between the German word for fur slippers and glass slippers. Mm-hmm. So somebody misread it, and so they actually were meant to be like you know more like furry boots <laughs> or some shit like that. Yeah. Um, but now we know them as glass slippers. So maybe it was a case of, you know, a mistranslation or something along those lines where we thought we, you know, we see, we hear the word furling and think of furry Ewoks and instead it's people with gills who live in a different matter reality. <laughs> yeah, maybe. They also s- might be related to, um, vaguely related to, I can't remember his name, but uh, the, the fire and water dude. Oh shit. Ah, Babylon dude. Yeah, Babylon dude. Uh, what fate Omen Ra or Yeah, Amen Amen Roka is his wife. Amen Roka. Yeah. yeah. I can remember his ne- his wife's name but not his Oh well. Yeah, I feel bad about that. But he, he had like the gill thing going on and of course he was actually underwater, Aquatic, but yeah, there but... could be there could be some sort of split off somewhere. Hey. To use Star Trek again, um there's an alternate space reality that they sometimes uh, come into con- contact with in Voyager called fluidic space. So mm-hmm. maybe they live in a fluidic space and that's why they need gills. <laughs> maybe. That'd be a real harsh interpretation of it. but <laughs> Yeah, it's not something that we're going to address because we're never going to meet thespians again and we never meet uh, Fire and Water Dude again. But uh, So yes, uh, they all form a circle around him and... Do something with their matter-folding technology. I call um, it Reiki, but actually effective. Yeah. Uh, to heal him. And he gets up, and he's immediately, and he immediately, like, teleports all of them to the gate room, and is like, okay, fucking destroy this place. <laughs> he's just, like, up on his feet in an instant. Like, he got, like, a coffee shot or something. He went from dying to, let's fucking torch this place. <laughs> And Daniel's like, wait, you promised you would hear me out. And he's like, yeah, but their word means nothing. And then Takai's like, yes, but my word would also mean nothing if we don't hear them out. Which is good. I like that. Like, I like how she's also kind of like half begrudging about it too. Because they're like... Oh, she's, she's not happy about yeah, it. She's like, but here's the thing. My word would also be worthless if we did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's good. I, I, you get a lot... you. You don't get a lot of her character, like, doing things, but you get a lot of her character just in that one bit of line delivery. Yep. You can get a lot of who that character is just from that. Yeah, she has integrity. And she's not happy about it, but... Mm. Uh, so basically, they're talking... So, uh, Zale's issues uh, with what they've done is they're like... You know, we can't trust you to not come in against uh, behind our back and destroy the mountain with your mining. Also, you went behind our back and revealed our true forms to to Tanani. And, you know, without any of our say, ours or Tanani's. And Jack's like, okay, well, for the first one, you could just block the gate. If you don't trust our word on it, just don't let us come through. And Zales is like, oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do love it, because he does seem kind of surprised that that's a solution. It's just, it's one of those really obvious ones, which I guess, to be fair, like, SGC has used that 
before. That method before. So it is more obvious to them than it might be to someone else. Hell, the movie is based on it. Exactly. And we'll bring it up again in uh, Moebius. We'll come back to it, I guess, is more more yeah. like it. No, I, yeah, I, so. I definitely uh, appreciate they're like, oh, yeah. And then she like looks over and goes, oh, I guess space travel actually doesn't really, we don't do that. We so. don't really need it. So, yeah, we could absolutely close the gate. It wouldn't really affect us at all. But then he's like, okay, well, that doesn't solve the other issue. Uh, and he's basically like, look, you know, they're going to turn on us. Like, we're coexisting right now, but they're going to fear us after a while, and they're going to use their technology that we've, you know, the things that we've given them to build weapons against us. And Daniel's like, I don't think that's going to happen, because their equivalent on Earth still prescribes to a lot of their old beliefs and their old practices. Like, we've got more technology out here in our in our world, but that didn't make them change their way of life that much. No, it was only the uh, Trail of Tears, false imprisonment, forced, re- you know, more forced relocation, forced re-education, mm-hmm. so on. It's only the multitude of other things that had a long-standing impact on their culture. They, however... Yeah, and those are only things that they didn't want to do. Exactly. Those were all things that were done to them. They actually... But, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't the Salish yeah. deciding to change. It was the Salish no. being fucked with. But, yeah, so, basically, this uh, in this exchange, this is where the, the thespians uh, explain that they freed the Salish from the gold and then took forms that worked for them so that they could peacefully coexist. And in my note, I make the the actual good parallel to the gold, unlike the Tok'ra, who claim to be the opposite of the gold. Which obviously is, I guess, you know, I guess with the Tok'ra it was supposed to be a good writing element, as in, you know, they are just lying to themselves, which is a part of their yes. character development. But it's, Yeah, I feel like that was on purpose. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, I mean... Especially sense. because this came right after the Toker episode, so I feel I feel like that was actual like purposeful writing instead of like accidental. Actually, this reminded me. I know in season one we talked about how like sometimes the episode order didn't really make sense. I feel like this episode order so far in season two is pretty good. Yeah, no, for the most part, I think there was one set of episodes, and I can't even remember what they are anymore. Uh, it was somewhere around, like, 9 and 10, I think. Yeah, it was, like, a whole momentum killer or something, if I remember correctly. Yeah, where we were like, I don't understand why these episodes... Oh, I think it... No, it, it was it was somewhere around the uh, Thor's Thor's yeah, chariot. Yeah, It was somewhere in Some there random filler where, episode. for, like, two episodes, the order of episodes didn't make sense anymore. But other than that, other than, like, those two episodes, I feel like this entire season has honestly been a pretty good, fluid motion of storytelling even when we have those filler episodes they're fine with the timing you know it's like yeah it's fine to have a filler episode here yep oh yeah yeah i think my one issue with timing uh with the overall arc season two so far has been um thor's chariot so after having like this whole conversation about you know this is why we did this but now we're afraid they're gonna fear us and everything and daniel's like no i don't think they will they bring Tanani in, um, and they officially introduce themselves to him. Like, this is our actual form and everything. And Tanani clearly doesn't care. Right. He's just happy to see them. He's like, oh, you know, it's like it's nice to talk to you this way, blah, blah, blah. He doesn't care. Yeah. It doesn't affect his understanding and his approach to 
them. What they look like doesn't change his place in the world. Throughout the episode, he's always spoken about the spirits as friends. Mm -hmm. He's always spoken to them in a friendly manner when he was talking to the raven or the wolf. When he would talk about them, he was talking about them as friends. So, like, he's just happy to talk to them face-to-face like this. He he doesn't care what they look like. Yeah. And so, like, the thespians take this as a good sign. Like, oh, you know, then hopefully this will be okay for us. And they're like, okay, I guess we forgive you for all this stuff. We'll go through and we'll block the gate off and we're done. (laughs) We're not going to destroy this place. We're not going to kill you guys anymore. I guess you get to live. Yeah, and they're like, uh, can we have our friends back? And like, they're already here. And then they wave their arms and the entire gate embarkation room is full of all the people that disappeared. Yeah, that does, that does, that's one of the things that like helped me just land 100% on this being a broad interpretation of matter folding. Is the fact that it looks like no time has passed for them in terms of like the passage of time. They don't seem to have registered it. So I'm thinking that they just got like literally sent to a pocket of subspace and just kind of held there in stasis until such a time as they got removed. Yeah, that a- that absolutely works because like everyone gets reappeared and Hammond's like, Wait, "What's what? going on, Jack?" <laughs> and then the episode ends with Jack being like, "I'll explain later." Yeah. Uh, just a couple of court martial offenses. It's fine. So don't worry about it. Shh. Uh, sorry, we're not getting the trinium. the The gate's gonna be gone. <laughs> it's a good thing they gloss over that because that could not have been a fun conversation. Well, the Pentagon can fucking deal with it. <laughs> I think the fact that they were being threatened with the entire base getting blown up right. will work in their favor. Right. It's like, well, it was that or Annihilation. You pick. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's the end of the episode. And it was recorded on a proper mic this time. Yay! I like how you checked your computer. <laughs> Only about 12 times. <laughs> Just like, right? Yeah, so uh, let's go through these uh, side bits that we always go through. Uh, nobody died this episode are you a jack or a daniel uh i'm definitely the daniel on this one just because not that jack doesn't have as you know isn't it, jack is obviously in the episode and does have good points with like you know the aboriginal mm-hmm. rights and so forth um and then I, I don't even think that he would have handled like you know let's say this you know the scene in the forest with the raven <laughs> uh, i don't think he would have handled that badly per se however no i think he would have gone along with it yeah that being, he would have he would have handled it better than teal and sam did yeah that being said uh and maybe I think that's why I keep pausing. It's like maybe I'm just like maybe I want to see more of myself, you know, the good light here because like I like to think I'd be you know of that same mindset of the openness in that perspective. Like worst case scenario, I'm talking to a bird for a few minutes, big deal. Uh huh. It's like this isn't harming me, kind of thing. Uh, but on top of that, what really cements it for me, honestly, that I'm a Daniel in this episode is while Jane, while Jack does have a couple of lines where he acknowledges that it's not right what they're doing in terms of violation of Aboriginal rights. Um, He's still going to go along with yeah, it in the end. I, I did t- touch on this last time. I am, uh, I would not call myself a patriot. I would call myself, no, um, a, God, no. I would just call myself a good person in that aspect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would just do the right thing. And the right thing is not deceiving the people who actually live somewhere. And the people who and received you in a very friendly manner. Yes, it's too. duplicitous, it's shitty, and not to mention the fact you fucking know that it was a foot in the door situation where they, well, first it's just, you know, just violating their trust while they're gone to their winter quarters. And next it's, well, we can just, you know, show them a different place to camp because we now we need this area for mining. And next mm-hmm. thing you know, it's, okay, but now we can introduce a school to help them out. 
and it's just it's a really fucking rickety slope uh, uh shitty sliding slope into smallpox blankets absolutely no i i will actually give you this credit because you, you were like i i like to think i'd be okay with like the talking to the bird and everything i i will use actual uh uh anecdotal evidence to support this because despite your really strong beliefs of like the the wooey stuff as you call it you let kaylee do a tarot reading for True. you i even actually listened <laughs> yeah you sat there and you let her talk it, talk through it and everything, even though, like, you know, you have very firm beliefs on those those types of matters and everything. You didn't, like, insult her to her face about it or anything. Or even after the fact, because honestly, at the end of the day, you can't say for sure whether or not you believe in something or not if you don't take the time to at least learn about it. Yeah. So, so I think... The fact that I have actual anecdotal evidence of you letting my roommate do a tarot reading for you, I think you would talk to the bird. Whereas I'm Daniel because I would 100% do the behind-their-backs court-martial bull offense if I heard them talk. They would have to send me out of the room. I'm 100% that person. They'd be like, okay, if we're going to do this, we have to send Mel out of the room. Right. Because, because she will tell everyone immediately that we were planning this. Uh-huh, yeah. And also, I would 100% talk to the bird. Because here's here's the other side of things. I also have a tarot deck. <laughs> and again, on the same side of things, I know you have the feelings on the wooey stuff, and I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's mostly down to uh, whether or not this particular thing that I'm calling wooey is harmful. Mm-hmm. So... There's a lot of shit that I consider wooey that by nature is actually pretty harmful. Like, I have a real problem with a lot of uh, holistic medicine because it's used instead of... Oh, yeah, that's an issue. Where it's like, okay, cool, so yeah. you're killing somebody. You're just not mm-hmm. treating their problem. You're giving them some fucking crystal and telling them that's going to fix their energies. And it's like, okay, all right. I need, yeah, I need you to move along, please. <laughs> that's absolutely an issue. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm definitely a Daniel in this between I would absolutely talk to the bird and I would absolutely immediately tell Tanati if they said any of that shit in front of me. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. I would actually probably, I'd be like, okay, Tanati, we're gonna go somewhere quiet. Okay? Okay, this is what's gonna happen. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna create... A diversion, so everyone gets away from the gate. I'm gonna send you back home. You tell everyone to close the gate. Right. <laughs> I would send them back through without letting anyone know. <laughs> that Hufflepuff with a with Slytherin friends side of me. There you go. I would be the uh, ubiquitous Ravenclaw in the corner, just glaring at people, <laughs> citing all of the past. Uh, Issues where the, the history repeating itself garbage. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> Just basically thumping people in the heads with a book. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, thumbs up. Thumbs up. I would give it... It's a delightful episode. Tanani is wonderful. Oh, yeah. Now, I give it one... One, you know, obvious thumbs up because I, th- I just personally think it's a good episode, you know, period. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. On top of that, I give it, uh, for my second thumbs up, I give it more, a little shakier because obviously it still does fall into some white savior tropes. It's still yeah. not, you know, the most respectful, so on and so forth. But it could have been worse, I think. <laughs> yes. And and like I said in our first recording, and it actually didn't come up this time, um, Stargate is built on a history of the white savior trope. That's yep. what the movie is. Yep. 
Yep. So yeah, I think so, it like, ends there's away only that nicely here. So much you can get away from that. Yeah. When that's your origin story. So yeah, I think it's it's just a good it's an enjoyable episode. Um and I feel like it was approached with as much respect as the writers and direct the writer and director were capable of with their knowledge and understanding. So that is the end of this episode. This second take second time, right? Of this episode. <laughs> Hopefully it is half as enjoyable or funny as our first take. I don't know. Uh, no, that's a good question. At the very least, it's, uh, you know, you can hear it. There's definitely going to be some more rambly um, thought processes in this one. Just because I had more time to think on things, which just means you have to deal with more of my devil's advocate bullshit. So, <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> That's what you get when you listen to a podcast with me. It's in my other podcast, too. It Not quite as much, because we're not at the point in Pokemon where there's a lot of, like, real digging in. We haven't gotten to auras or any of Correct. that stuff yet. But, yeah. That's what you get when you listen to a, a podcast with me in it, so. But... but- that's it for this week. Cool. Next week, we'll be covering episode 14 of season two, Touchstone. I know the name, and I know it'll come back to me, but at this moment, I'm like, what? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's another one that I'm like, I'm reading the summary. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that one vaguely. <laughs> so if you want to get a hold of us, you can find me on Twitter at ItsMelNotLiss or our podcast Twitter at PointOfOriginPC. You can also email us at pointoforigincast at gmail.com or write something on the side of a tissue box and toss it through the nearest wormhole. Please do not shoot an arrow through the wormhole. You can find links to things we talked about during the show in the show notes. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Thank you for joining us on our incursion through the iris. And until next time.